Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Again, fellow basement dwellers, it's your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. Lo- you know, started this summer with nothing to talk about, and then the last three weeks of Bandwagon Nerds has been just loaded with news, and I'm very excited to have the panel we have on today. Of course, we always have our regular uh, co-host, the lawyer extraordinaire, Mr. David Ungar, sadly watching another travesty of a football game by the Washington football team. How you doing over there, David? Not watching. Just Not look watching? just looking at the it's 14 to 7 right now, which is shocking that they are actually uh, covering the spread well not covering the spread, they're ahead. With the fourteen, you're saying there's a chance. I, I guess so, man. I'm doing all right, man. I guess we should let people know since we are getting close to that one year mark. This is episode forty-seven, five to the end. I know, very exciting, very exciting. We got something special leading into our one year, Annie. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm very, very excited to get all that running and and moving soon. Ray Cash is going to come back and help us with a special little project for. 
for he's actually going to be with us for five episodes. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we're not alone. We have not one but two special guests. And the first special guest we have on us with us for the show tonight, the voice of the chairshot.com, the president and founder of the Margot Kidder fan club, Mr. <laughs> Christopher Platt. Welcome to the show. Greetings and salutations out there, my fellow nerds and gentlemen. I'm much obliged to be part of this esteemed panel. As I have my laptop next to me, the Browns are playing. They're currently uh, beating the Cowboys 21 to 14 and are on the move. And speaking of on the move, you guys know I recently moved and I'm still unpacking a lot of my things. So the only Cleveland shirt I could possibly find was. Oh, geez. It's your Johnny Cleveland shirt. Is that <laughs> is that for Gargano or Manziel since they both kind of have ties to Cleveland? I've been trying to get the Johnny Cleveland for Gargano thing over so I can wear this shirt and it's relevant again. It, it It's not working thus far, though. I know we've covered this on Three Man Weave on more than one occasion when I've guested, but I hate my football team so much I own none of their paraphernalia. Like, I love and yet hate my Chicago Bears. Most overrated 3-0 team in football. By the way, everybody, you heard another voice in there. We have also brought back one of our favorite regular guests to come on the show, Mr. PC Tunney. He is here to join us as well. How are things over in Wisconsin, Mr. Tunney? Well, this is the first time I'm talking, so you haven't heard my voice yet, Patrick, okay? Let's get <laughs> I, I heard you chime in. You chimed in it's, very briefly it's on the, the voices in your head, Patrick. It's okay. Right. Oh, that's right. All right. I, you're right. I'm wrong. What's new? Hey, everybody. PC Tony back again. Carry on. Nice. We're glad to have you, and we're going to dive right in because we got a ton of stuff to talk about today. We are going to break down episode seven, the penultimate episode of season two of The Boys. Halloween season always brings out the most trailers, I think, because it's horror movie season. And so I put together a plethora of trailers plus one little Marvel deal. We got some some news tidbits. And then in the second half after the break, we're going to talk a little Spider-Man because a, a fun little news rumor broke out that... I'm kind of lukewarm about it. A lot of people seem to be kind of excited, but I'm a little lukewarm about it. So I'm looking forward to getting some some opinions on that as we start to really get rolling with the news. But let's talk about The Boys Season 2, Episode 7. And I'm just going to lay this out here, guys. Last week, Ray Cash was like, this is the best episode we've seen all season. I said that too. And, and Dave said that as well. And then this episode came out this week, and I'm like, this is the best episode of The Boys I've seen all season. I actually, I very rarely do this. We're very stream of consciousness a lot of time when we cover these shows, but I wrote down six points after watch. I almost watched the episode a second time because it's so dense and there was so much that happened that I really wanted us to take our time and be intentional about the things that we saw in this episode because holy shit, a lot happened uh, on episode seven uh, of The Boys. And so without going into too much detail, and I know, Dave, you love to do this. You love to kind of do like a full rundown. But just I want to get around the room real quick. Everybody's watched episode seven. Can we just get our hot take reactions to episode seven? We'll we'll go ahead and we'll start with you, Dave. We'll go Dave, Tony, Platt. Holy fuck. There you go. I'll keep it real simple. I'll continue this sentence. Everybody's head fucking blew up. <laughs> and, and, and to conclude the sentence, holy fuck. There we Exclamation go. point. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah, I think I said by God and wrote it JR style when I when I reacted to it in a, on a couple of tweets. 
But before we even get to heads exploding, which is the end of the episode, and it's crazy to think that that by the end of the episode, you're, you're walking away from that. I really want to talk about the first 10 minutes of this show. The, the cold open of a human being being radicalized to the point of shooting somebody in a grocery store. And we've talked about the last two episodes of this show, how on the nose the boys has been in terms of our own country. And I couldn't help, but be, you know, Dave, you brought up a couple of weeks ago when I wasn't here talking about the stand and the feelings of a, of a plague and wiping out people and how that made you feel watching a, a disillusioned white man become rattled, radicalized by the media to the point where he perceives a person of color as a threat and shoots them in the head in the middle of a convenience store hit hard and really close to home in a way that I just wasn't expecting out of the show and was very poignant as we kind of move forward within the greater picture of what Vought is doing and what Vought has done in pushing this super terrorist narrative in a need for superheroes. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't quite catch it as as a person of color sort of thing as more like he's in there. And he's already been conditioned, like you're saying, to think. Well, it's, terrorists, it's an yeah, that's, that's it the is. Thing. It is terrorists are everywhere, but it's like the lights shine in this guy's eyes for a split second, and he says, "Oh shit, he's a terrorist." And then he comes in the next day and says, "I, I saw the lights in your eyes," and he blows them away. And the saddest part is, as as impactful as that first ten minutes is, dude, I got to be straight with you. I forgot almost about it completely by the end of the episode because of how everything ends, and and it's just. Well, and we're going to get to a lot of those bullets because there's so many things that went on in this episode that I, I think this is an episode you got to watch at least twice to really soak in everything that went on. But enough enough about that. Other thoughts uh, around the room. Platt, uh, go ahead. I thought I was leaning in there. Well, you know, um, this show is interesting on so many levels and there's always so much to unpack. But P.O.D., you touched on something really big that I picked up on since I've been watching this show is that. They've taken this source material, and if you could look past all of the exploding heads and the the weird, gratuitous sex scenes, there's actually a, a really dense social critique in here. There's a lot of things that they touch on, man, in terms of celebrity worship culture, um, uh, 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 like like you talked about earlier about people being radicalized. Like they've really steered into the skid and talked about a lot of the issues that are dividing us as a country right now. So if you look at it from that vantage point, like you said, it, it really is very allegorical to everything that's happening now. And I think it's actually one of the smarter shows on television. Yeah. I think that it's, it, it really has, it's really easy to get caught up in kind of the, the, the loud noises because they're sensational, but that I, I actually, I stopped watching for a minute. Like I had to pause it because that just, it struck me in, in, in the way that it did. Tony, what about you? You got any thoughts on, on this particular, this little bullet here? It's funny because I started watching the episode Friday and I was, ended up, I had too much stuff going on. So I stopped like five minutes in and I'm like, I'll watch it the next day when I have my full attention. Right. And I right. remember watching that over again. And like the second time actually thinking about it, I, I don't know. I kind of lose myself in the story of the comic book world 
of people having superpowers. So I kind of disassociate that with what's going on in the rest of the world for the most part. But, you know, it does really call to action on people judging a book by its cover. So there, there is that point to be made there. I thought the rest of the episode was just so many different storylines advancing. But to your point, the beginning part really kind of shows, I guess, kind of puts you in the attitude of knowing how serious it is for the people that are the citizens of this particular world that we're, you know, watching and how it does associate with, with the real times right now. And and we end it with Stormfront and Homelander in, you know, at a rally. And, and it just struck and again, it struck me just because you hear it all the time. Like we see it in narratives all the time. Homelander is like thoughts and prayers. And then like turns around and sort of sarcastically is like thoughts and prayers. Like what, like they care nothing about what just happened. And that's going, and to me, that then becomes a bigger theme as we head into the end of the episode. And we're going to talk about the hearing last and what we saw at the hearing at the very end. Uh, the way I did these bullets and broke these down is just kind of taking characters uh, and character groups. And so the next, and I, and I kind of ranked them in sort of the way I saw them build. So, and one character is in here twice. I will warn you about that. But the the next sort of, Thing a lot starts happening all at once. The next relationship I want to talk about is because it's the one that is very brief that pops up is that we do get a continuation of what's going on with A Train and the Deep, that they are at a party with their with their little cult, and they're approached by the head of this cult, tells them good news, you have a chance to have a meeting with Vought to talk about bringing you back into the seven, and oh by the way. We don't talk about Eagle Eye anymore. He's dead to us. Literally dead to this. And it, you see just how deep into the cult we've we've sunk here. He's full of shit, too. Do you guys really believe that he set up a meeting to try to get them back into the seven? <laughs> but that's something else. I, I forgot totally about that, that Scientology plot. I mean, like Tony said, he had to turn it off because he had stuff going on. This isn't a show that you can passively watch. Like you have to be completely immersed because there is just so much going on. And Pat, like you alluded to, man, you might have to watch an episode two or three times to really pick up on everything. I saw this last one one and a half times because Amber fell asleep while we were watching it. And then I caught like maybe the last half of it while she was rewatching yesterday. But whew. <laughs> I mean, God damn. And this is just the first 10 minutes. We even got outside the first 10 minutes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> A train's onto this though, right? Like if, oh, you're, yeah. if you're watching between the two of them, A train's like, "What the fuck is this shit?" He knows what time it is, but if this can help him get back into the deep, then or back into the seven rather than he whatever. A train's for A train, right? A train's team A train, and man, his fucked up heart. What was the gift that he gave him? What did A train give the deep? Oh. Like, a, like a goldfish? Yeah, yes. yeah, he gave, gave him a goldfish. It up to his ear, and he puts it up to his ear, and he goes, oh, and he looks over at Atrium, and he goes, oh, here he goes, my cults are a good <laughs> thing, right, adorable. guys? That was adorable. That's that's the thing about <laughs> this show that is hilarious, because you can get something that ridiculous, like and, and, and ridiculous, and like it's like this funny moment. And what was cute was the way the deep was just like so appreciative, <laughs> right? like he like hugs him, like squeezes him tight. Mm-hmm. And I'm the slow one in the family so i didn't even pick up on at first the uh, significance of the fresca 
And then Amber broke it down to me. He's literally drinking the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? I'm like, God damn, that's smart as hell. <laughs> so that's the deal. We were, I've been wondering, what's the deal with Fresca? But it is their, it's their Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah, in the say, Fresca? Say, Amber is... broke that down and we haven't broken that down oh, on no. the show. So get Amber, Amber in here, Platt. Now, Amber has now brought uh, a question that we've asked on two consecutive episodes and not really answered. We We keep waiting for some like, huge thing and you know maybe it's all of them drinking fresca and dying at some point but yeah and not even a joke but the yeah question, we not the question is will they be wearing nikes when this happens you know well it's a different it's a different cult okay well a trade does have the nike deal so that's right i mean he does have the connect i'm not saying i'm just saying we can make this happen you know <laughs> right right they all died in their forces air forces and bathrobes with a bunch of just fresca cans lying around everybody and the other thing that you pointed out, Platt, that I, that I wanted to turn to is that you you mentioned Scientology, and you can't help but notice the parallel in tactics with the way that cults ran down Eagle Eye when he went public. Like, the first thing they did was try to bury him. And if you listen to some of the people that have gotten out of Scientology churches and groups— the the level of ostracization ostracization that happens is is again it's on the nose it's just so on the nose with a lot of what's going on in our world. I, I wouldn't even even limit it to Scientology, man, because I grew up in a Christian household, and I'm about to piss off the Christians now. But I've I've seen this happen at churches when an associate pastor leaves, wants to start their own church against the pastor's wishes, and they'll get up there in the pulpit and completely bury him. Like I've seen my 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 uncle. He was he you know he's part of one of these mega churches and he he loved the guy he knew the guy the associate pastor he actually went to school with my brother they were friends growing up and he loved him and then he left and he just started burying him because the pastor was burying him so I don't think this is just limited to Scientology it's limited to because I mean cults religions whatever you want to call them they all exist because people feel hollow and feel empty and they they want something to believe in they want to feel part of something they want to feel connected to a community and to a big, bigger purpose and that's how you're able to manipulate people into doing crazy shit like drinking frescas <laughs> you know what i mean do you feel in a subtle way it's a it's a not so subtle jab at organized religion yeah oh definitely definitely the whole thing I, I, the whole i mean you could you could make the symbol, symbolism to anything yeah, but I mean, I don't even think it's that subtle, Dave, because the whole Starlight Bible Camp shit, that ain't that wasn't very subtle, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even include Starlight and her mom on my bullets. <laughs> so there's just too much to, to cover in this episode. The other person that I did, the, the other specific person that I wanted to focus on, though, is Queen Maeve. And her art yeah. and the turn oh, that takes okay. with her. And we're going to, she, I mentioned... No, you can interrupt all we want. We talk over each they, other all the time. They, they turned it, flipped it, rubbed it down. Oh, no. Well, and here's I the thing. is, <laughs> Maeve is the character. I said there's a character I have on two different bullets. So I may cut one of you off if you get too far ahead of yourself. But Maeve and her crumbled relationship is really what I want to look at here. And, and just what, what we saw from her. And just how important her partner was and how devastating that was to her when she left. Yeah, I don't know. She looks like she got over it pretty quick. Ah, yeah, it's called a rebound, yeah. though, man. She rebounded all the way to... Uh, she, she got she over it. Yeah, under, she grabbed two rebounds. She, 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 
She grabbed two rebounds in one possession there. Wow. <laughs> Is that like a quadruple double? Anyway, uh, you know, Maeve just kind of, yeah, Maeve reaches her breaking point in this episode in multiple ways, you know, and, and I think that, and I don't want to get too far ahead because her involvement with Black Noir is, is critical to where we end up with. But yeah, the loss of, uh, what, Elena? Is that her, the gal's name? Yeah. Elena deciding, I can't do this. And Maeve's reaction, Maeve is almost at the, I don't give any fucks anymore about any of this stuff. And just the way she's reacting and the things she's doing makes me think, okay, she could be the fly in the ointment to this whole Homelander stormfront. Because we, we've always talked about Maeve that we don't really fully grasp her power set. You know, we analogize her to Wonder Woman and that's easy to do. But the reality is, okay, is she truly as strong as Wonder Woman? Because if she is, then yeah, she can stand her ground against Homelander and Stormfront and that sort of thing. But in her present state of mind where she's just at that breaking point where she's riddled by the guilt from the plane crash and her inaction that resulted in all that. And now that's manifesting in, in, in different ways where she's, she's self-destructively trying to atone for that kind of. Um, so yeah, it, her character arc took a very interesting twist this week. I mean, she's basically one beer away from Britney Spears shaving her head in public. That's, that's, that's where Maeve is at right now. <laughs> and, and yet She's I, a, I, it's the character though. No, go ahead, man. Well, and, and yet at the, she had like my, my, one of my favorite moments in the whole episode when she's lying in bed there and Ashley's flipping out and she just looks at Ashley tears in her eyes and is like, can you just be a fucking person for a minute? And pulled Ashley out of her whole like Vought top assistant mode, even if it was for one second. Like in all of that wreck. That was powerful. I just, yeah. I just loved it. I loved it. That was powerful. And she's she's an interesting character because I, I almost um analogize her to some of these Hollywood starlets or you know, the, a lot of these women in the music industry and stuff like that she's done all of these despicable things and she feels like there is no redemption for her character she's completely broken and you know at this point she just whatever just to feel good and she sees starlight as her i mean i guess she talked about it on last season when they were on the elevator that's literally right. her so she I, I guess she's trying to find kind of like a french she's trying to find his redemption in um old girl she's almost trying to find a piece of her redemption through trying to redeem and, and save starlight yeah I, and which I guess this—that's really what the show is all about, huh? Revenge or redemption? There's a lot of it in there, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and we, I just thought of that. yeah, we get we get some glimpses into some other motivations and some things come into come into play regarding um, Billy Butcher. Uh, I'm just going to gloss over this one really quick. We we meet his father. We meet Butcher's father, played by John Noble, by the way. And that is for those of you who don't know who John Noble is, look him up. Hell of an actor. Uh, loved him in the TV show Fringe, and if you want a fun show, check out Fringe, starring Joshua Jackson and John Noble. Great, great show. Love it. That's all I'm going to say about that, because I want to get into Stormfront, Homelander, and Becca, and the level of manipulation that resulted in Becca losing her kid. And we were wrong, Dave, because what did we we had this prediction, and maybe it's still it's still a prediction. I think it'll happen. 
we thought this was going to be about Becca, Becca Butcher and her kid. And then this sort of flipped, this thing flipped it over in a big, big way. Then Ava Bronze ass want to step in the scene, but but go ahead, Dave. My bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I mean, Tony too. Like, you know, make sure everybody's in. Yeah, I just you know Homelander, and I mean, and Stormfront is still manipulating Homelander, but Homelander is willingly going down that path with her, and and the whole thing about kids, and the fact that Homelander's like, hey, here's how I can impress my girlfriend. Did you know I have a kid? I got, let me take you to him. And so they fly over there and Becca's just, you know, pleading with Homelander. Don't do this. Don't confuse him. Don't make things worse. And, and it's funny because Ryan is so anti his dad when the episode begins. And by the end, Stormfront is very clever because she does something that Homelander can't do. And that is she speaks to this kid on a relatable level and Homelander can't, doesn't have the capacity to do that, to do that yet. Stormfront does. And she she's the one who's key in getting Homelander to say, look, let's just show this kid what a major amount of bullshit his entire life has been up to now and flips the kids allegiances, you know, alliance just like just I mean, almost immediately. It's um, it's sad for Becca, but you got to say you can see it coming. I think I thought one of the big parts was the acknowledgement from Stormfront that Ryan is the first naturally born superhero and something we'd suspected but ryan you know stormfront confirms she probably know because all the shit she's doing at sage grove that ryan is the first naturally born superhero that there is so it's all great i mean i feel bad for becca sure but you had to see this coming you know you can't really stop homelander from from doing whatever he wants to do and at the end the big hap the new happy family flies off together it's touching in a sick kind of way in a per- quick sick perverse kind of way it, it kind of is because that's all homelander's been wanting this whole time i mean you guys remember the episode a few uh, a few episodes ago where he just bogarted into the house and just decided make room for daddy and they're sitting and there's this one scene where they're sitting around the um the breakfast table and he's talking to the little boy Becca is horrified, of course, because I mean, what what is she supposed to do? I don't. They haven't mentioned any kryptonites or anything of that nature. So, what are you really going to do with Homelander? And Homelander is just tickled pink, man. He, he's tickled pink. He's like happy as a blind man in a whole house, you know. He's like, wow, I have a family. And the thing with Homelander is, you don't know what he's saying, whether it's true or complete bullshit. Where he's all like, I don't want my kid to go through what I went through, dude. You were like in a fucking cell for your entire adolescence. So when he says that to her, it's like, what what exactly did you go through that you don't want him to go through unless you're analogizing your cell to his much nicer cell, which is still a cell <laughs> in some respects. But but yeah, with Homelander, you never know what's the truth and what's bullshit in which that's one of the greatest things about the characters. You just don't know what's real and what's not. I think yeah, it's all real. Tony, let Tony jump in. Let Tony jump in. Isn't isn't that part of Homelander's like character flaw though? Like it, he's kind of like the the billionaire that doesn't know how much a candy bar costs, right? Like, right. oh, how much for that candy bar? Twelve thousand dollars. Well, here you go. You know, <laughs> and then you can kind of turn around and go, well, Homelander, you you know, you try to relate to a human being. Well, there's no way in fucking hell he's been able to do that whatsoever. And I think that's how you see Stormfront come in so easy, like you said, Dave. Where I want to ask you guys is, this is the first soup that comes from other two other metahumans or supernatural powered people is this kid going to be 
even stronger and more powerful than any soup that's out there already. Well, you got to remember, he came from one metahuman, Homelander. As far as we know, Beck Becca. Not, did, yeah, because Beck is not a soup. As far as we, know. we as far as we know, okay. that may be. No, something. no, no. That my bad. My bad. But he came from. A, I'm sorry. Not he. Yeah, right. He only came from one, but he came from one instead of just the. Right. You know the what is it the compound V. Compound V. I I think that there's something to that. I think it's very much uh, to make a Marvel analogy a Franklin Richards situation. Uh, Franklin Richards is the son of Reed and Sue Storm, and he's just the most ridiculously powerful character in all of Marvel. Like he, he can wipe the floor with anyone and anything. And so, there's there's a couple of things you, you look Except at. Except Squirrel Girl. Except Squirrel Girl, Patrick. Shut up. Whatever. You look at you look at the way Stormfront sees this kid too and there's a couple of different levels you know they were very intentional to show her longingly looking at a baby and the daughter that she lost and yet at the same time there's like a hunger there for what we can make this kid and i think that's very scary the other the i'll let everybody else go around on this real quick but the other thought and this is something that i can't relate to but i i do wonder you know it's it's very much what I see and what I've heard from a lot of people in my life who are children of divorce, uh, where the parents are together and the battle over your child and the child's loyalties and the way that parents can be manipulative of one another in relationships that have gone bad. And it was, to me, it was, you know, you were like, yeah, I feel for Becca, but it's, it's tough because both are bad guys in this situation, in my opinion. In the, in the way that they, they've kind of managed it. One, his homelander is just overtly bad, but Becca has not been honest with her child and it, and it bit her pretty hard. Yeah, well, are I, we go ahead, Platt. are we sh- sure whether or not the homelander thing was consensual or it have we confirmed not. that it was rape? Okay, so that's she, been confirmed. She said she was raped. She said that to Butcher, though, right? Right. Well, I you mean, know what I mean? Don't what what, what I else don't is he going to say to Butch? I, I choose to believe survivors. Uh, I okay. guess that's, that's my thing. I oh, oh wow, survivors. wow, wow. That, oh, wow. That's how you go kill me. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Platt hates women. Okay, cool. Thanks, Pat. No, just survivors. Thanks. Fuck See, you very much, sir. At, <laughs> at, the, at the real C. Platt on Twitter. <laughs> you send your hate, you send your hate tweets for the week to... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pat. Maybe you really are qualified to be president. <laughs> That was actually well played. That's why I'm shitting on you. That was very well played, sir. You did that very well. <laughs> Sorry, oh, survivors. I, I think I think it, it is it is a, it's largely assumed the narrative that's being pushed from Becca is that yes, that she, she was raped. Any and, podcast is always at its best when Platt brings out his white guy voice. Right. <laughs> but um. And Vought's efforts to hide it and to protect her from Homelander lead me to to lead me to believe that it was a non-consensual encounter. Fair enough, fair enough. Non-consensual or uh, unintended consequence? No, she was raped. And okay. the, in my opinion, she was raped. And the child is is a is the result. So should she have went with Butcher? What do y'all think? That's, well, that's, I understand why she did, now, but should she? I mean, yeah. Yeah, after I, after I, this episode, sure, you should have gone. You should have <laughs> taken Ryan and fled 
you know, and, and been on the run. But, you know, I you can't falter for that, that for not realizing what Homelander, the depths he was going to go to to uh, to fuck this whole thing up for. But but now it's going to be interesting to see with Ryan gone, whether she bails this compound and gets the fuck out of there and gets Billy says, we've got to get my son because, you know, as tough as Billy is, as we learn in this episode, and he is. Uh, he's pretty whipped by his wife. So anything that she wants to ask him, he will probably do. Does anybody else think that Billy Butcher is the least interesting character in this whole universe? No. <laughs> he's he's probably the most straightforward in a weird kind of way. But I don't know about least interesting. I mean, it's, I, I mean, it's a subjective question. I, I, oh, least interesting. I mean, MM, the, MM to oh, me shit. seems the least interesting just because there's not much going on. You know, he's just. See, it's, it's funny that you don't like Mother's Milk. And I'm like, I think Frenchie's I boring. I, I didn't say I don't like Mother's <laughs> Milk. I, I love Mother's Milk, but I didn't, you know, MM, not the actual Mother's Milk. That's a long time ago. But, you well, know, I like I love the character, but it's just as far as like what's going on with his the, the, the character arc and the depth that's going on. Really, he's just following Mallory around or he's following Billy around or he's following Frenchie around and he's the support guy you know he's just there to keep everything in line but there's not a whole lot going on except maybe this episode brings that out a little bit because you know uh mallory makes him the offer look just bail man I, i'll send send you to nicaragua no one will ever see you again you know and and I'm, so that's a development with him i'm yeah, glad i'm gonna, let, I'm gonna let tony in again we keep cutting tony off he keeps trying to talk and dave keeps was, talking over you don't you, don't, talking you over. don't have to yell at them to <laughs> No, no, I want you, you in. I invited get... you on the show, sir. I, it was just a bad joke, and oh, okay. don't worry. When I want to talk, I'll talk. All right, <laughs> all right. Y'all brought him on the show because y'all think he's the plat whisperer. He's the only mother farmer that can keep no, me in no, line. Keep the, I, keep the saddle I, on my back. I didn't know you were going to be on the show. <laughs> I literally invited Tony because we. I pushed so hard to get Tony to watch this show every time he was on here. He finally got around um, to jumping on, and then we barely had him on to talk about the show. So, um, yes, he was a late he was a late addition and a late welcome. Platt, I love hearing you talk. I love hearing you go. Like I, I'm say, Platt, stop being a dick. No, no, that's that's your yes, you're all's beef. I just I just want to be called the melon farmer a couple of times, and you know I just I miss it. You earned your melon farmer, melon farmer, when you basically said I was pro-rape a few minutes ago. <laughs> like, no, I, said, I just said you didn't believe. I mean, I see a picture of Tucker Carlson in your background. I don't know what's going on over there. It's a little concerning. <laughs> but uh, real quick, though, concerning. I did, that, that, that would be very concerning. But <laughs> um, I don't want to step on any, any of your points, though, but I wanted to double back just quickly to yeah, Mother. So was it? OK, cool. Because Dave brought that up, and I wanted to bring that up as well, where Mallory gave him the choice. And, you know, towards the end of that episode, you could see in his eyes. I mean, a lot of what he does as an actor is very nuanced and very subtle. You know what I mean? He doesn't get a whole lot of lines, but he does a lot with his body. And you could see him contemplating. Because, I mean, quite frankly, where does this end? It's basically down a path of nowhere. But I, I like his character because it is very nuanced and subtle, plus... You know, there's the black thing, so there's that. Right. But I, I feel like he might be the most decent person in this entire universe. He's he's so star. rational. Like that's the thing I see about he is the most of the characters out of the boys. He's the rational one. He is a voice of reason. 
and he is you see him just get so frustrated with the way everybody fucks with stuff on the show he's like what's wrong with you all and to me i just i don't care for like you i, I like all the characters but you you ask like who is who is least interesting to me i i'm just not frenchy doesn't do it for me his story arc doesn't do it for me i like him uh you know and he got his shot at redemption you know don't leave you know don't leave your post this time or whatever but that's the one that's kind of gone gone stale on me uh butcher butcher is just what he is and i don't know that he's particularly special but his his motivations and his development his arc hasn't hasn't shifted much and so that i think puts him at number two for me um but because i enjoy him as the driving force of take out all all soups and bring down bot I like him a little bit more than Frenchy, who I find to be a little boring and weepy. Drug adult sex fiend. What's there not to like? I mean, 10 years I ago. I didn't was, like him. 10 years ago, that was Tuesday in my world. <laughs> if it wasn't for Billy Butcher, we wouldn't really have a story, would we? No. No, that's true. That's true. And my I just least think- interesting person would be, would be Dewey's dad. <laughs> There will not be any Simon Pegg slander on these airwaves, goddammit. This is the bandwagon nerd show. Everybody go make some pizza rolls. You will not besmirch the good goddamn name of Simon Pegg on these airwaves. Hell, he was the most famous actor in in the whole show. Nobody else had a name? Eh. Who who was more famous than Simon Pegg? Uh, Carl Urban? Carl Urban's been working way longer than... I didn't say... Lord of the Rings, Judge Dredd, Xena Warrior Princess, Hercules. Doom. Don't forget Doom, Pat. I Doom. Had, <laughs> I had cash. He's done a lot of stuff. So y'all, yeah, so, I had cash. So I'm the only I'm we're we're all nerds here, but I'm the only person that recognizes Simon and knows Simon Pegg. Is that what y'all tell me? Oh no, we know him. No, you said he was the most famous actor on the show, and I disagreed with that. He didn't even make it a whole season. That's not his fault. Sure it is. I blame Simon Pegg. There's the name of your show tonight. I blame so I'm in There you everybody. go. There's a good. All right, we're gonna move title. on. I got two. I got two more points I want to get to on this show. Get uh, on this particular episode. So let's talk about Starlight, Huey, Lamplighter, Black Noir, and Maeve. And this Can has got one of something. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, the last time I was on here, we also talked about Black Noir, not having an almond joy and now we know right. why right and, and the and you you stole you stole the big it's one of the most subtle things they've been ripping on almonds and almond joy for multiple episodes now not just the one that we talked about but like it's been a thing and it came to fruition with this almond allergy thing which was like he's allergic to tree nuts was the was what Maeve says uh one of of the biggest departures from the comic though happens with black noir um and I, I don't know if anybody else has read the comics or knows much about the lore in the comics black noir is actually a clone of homelander and that got kind of thrown out of whack today just a when may when may pulled off his mask and let's just say the pigmentation was a little different 
Well, I mean, he was clearly, you know, for the for the screen adaptation, supposed to be a Black Panther takeoff. But when I started watching the show, I didn't read the graphic novels, but I, I did extensive research on the graphic novels. So I kind of knew where the whole Stormfront storyline was heading. But I also saw that as well, that, yeah, towards the end of the graphic novels, he's revealed to be a Homelander clone. But I mean, yeah, they were. This is 2020, man. We got to be all inclusive. So. <laughs> they're going to take a few it's liberties not, here. It's, and not, there. it's not even a critique. What what it, uh, of the casting? Because the the guy who plays him, I, it's it's so interesting that he plays a character that doesn't talk, and he's the baddest, you know, motherfucker on that show. Like he <laughs> he just is, in my opinion. Like Black Noir shows that this is the first time anybody's gotten the best of him, and it's because Maeve happened to show up. Like that's, hey, I guess question. I think it's obvious. Does Black Noir live? Oh yeah, nah. He gets he gets to the epi pen and he he takes care of it. I mean, he, she didn't destroy it; she no, just kicked she it out of the way. She kicked it away from him. He the last we saw him is he curled over and was done and down, and that was it. That's the last thing we saw. And the last uh, thing it, we saw after that from that room was was what is it, Huey or Dewey or Louis? Louis. I forget which one of uh, <laughs> one of them. I forget which, yeah, you know, breaking a breaking a glass, a drinking glass, and you know, making sure he's got a way out. It was just oh, an awesome scene. This is probably this is probably one of my favorite episodes that they've had out well, of, can, out of can the we, entire can two we, seasons. Can we go back a little bit? Let me just say this: The Boys is the only series that I can possibly think of that would turn a prison break into and analogize it to porn parodies and cuckolding i i mean that's really yeah, right. that's the only <laughs> yeah, series we, that would ever do that you know and and the greatest line there is huey going to lamplighter let's go fuck the wife and that's their rallying cry so i mean that's <laughs> that sums up the boys for anybody who may not be all in yet on this thing that's all you got to know just just to kind of bring it back to last week's nerd review you know winners go home and fuck the prom queen like it was basically the rock yes moment Oh, the, I uh, loved the post credit thing. You must have liked that. Right. So okay. Of course. Well, I knew I knew that was the the post credit you were going to go with. I just who it's the line from The Rock that everybody remembers. Yeah, I I that scene and that fight and that whole Tony, you you were you were talking about that moment as Huey's walking away. I'm like, go back for the hand. You need his fucking hand. Go back and get the hand. And then I hear Huey walk back. I need a hand. And I'm like, yes. I was like. Thank you. You sick melon farmers, man. I'm not a big blood, guts, and gore guy. I, I you know, know it was, you know, you yeah, know what needs yeah, to happen. I know what I'm, like, I know what I'm getting myself into. And, 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 yeah. that's, and I just, I mean, it, what they did was so smart because, like, when we were watching it, somebody's like, what, they're going to cut through bone with a, with a thing of glass? But you got to remember, Huey stomped on his arm to break the bone first and then cut it off. That is just a little nuanced detail that is so clever that this show repeatedly does. I think we're back to the, they will with Huey and starlight. Like <laughs> that, thing, that, that seems like they're, they're good again. And then lamplighter. He just kind of fucked everything up for everybody. Well, number one, shout out to <laughs> Jimmy. Olsen, the worst of Huey. Sport, you so son of a bitch. <laughs> right. Ah, <laughs> uh, in the words of Jimmy Olsen, I missed it. The moment, the moment you said something about it, in the words of Jimmy Olsen. Oh no, no, no! I was saying shout oh. out to uh, Smallville's Jimmy Olsen getting some work again. That was just—it was good to see him. It was like a hey, you know. You mean Iceman from the X Men? Iceman. Sure. 
He's he's Iceman <laughs> in the X Men. I don't think Platt oh, spent a lot of time with yeah. I, with X Men. No, really, he is, isn't he? he God is. damn, he sure is. I well, didn't know he was also... involved. I thought he. I actually thought he finished work after X Men. <laughs> so I, I didn't know Lamp he was an X Men. You're talking about who you talking about? Lamplighter. Lamplighter. Yeah, he was Jimmy Olsen on Smallville. He wasn't in Smallville. Yes, he was. Aaron, whatever the fuck his name is. Really? He just has a beard now, and he, right, he grew hold up. Hold on, I got I got IMD uh, IMDb up. Hold on, I'll I'll, I'll settle. settle he was Ice Man because yeah, I well, first about of all, that. his name his name is Sean Ashmore. Yeah. Um, and he That's is, what I said. In fact, his, <laughs> his his known fours, all four of the pictures in his IMDb known fours are X Men movies. I'm Aaron a, Ashmore. Aaron Ashmore. Oh, so I'm talking about his brother. Okay. No, I think Aaron Ashmore. I think I think Patrick got the name wrong. No, IMDb got the name wrong. I'm looking at it right now. Says, I feel so like to. Melon Farmers. Okay, so Sean is the movie actor and Aaron is the TV actor, apparently. Aaron the is that was... the one who played Jimmy Olsen. Is there yes. a Sean right. as well? And there is a Sean who played Iceman Ice in X-Men. Okay. Doesn't Aaron Ashmore also play um, the uncle on Lock and Key? I think you're right. You, okay, these guys are related. His, they're, they're twins. Sean is his twin brother. Okay, so <laughs> we... Right. We that it. makes sense yeah. now. Yeah, it is. So and everybody's okay. right. So Sean is on. <laughs> Sean is on the boy, and Aaron is on lock and key and small. There you go. Wow! And family, keep getting them checks, Ash boys. Wow! Yeah, Aaron was on Veronica Mars. I didn't know that. Nice. Okay. So now that we know that everybody's right and that there's more than one Ashmore, because I think we congratulated Iceman in uh, Lock and Key when we were doing our Lock and Key coverage too. I can't, I can't think that we didn't. Shows what shows that even the bandwagon nerds, the nerds themselves, still need to jump on the bandwagon every now and then. The other big moment that came out of this scene and was my second favorite moment, and I felt was a big, I felt this was a really big show for Queen Maeve, is Huey says, "Come with me." And she says no, but I think this goes back to Platt's point when we talk about actresses in Hollywood and people being trapped. Maeve feels trapped and that there's no way out and that she can't see any place where she's going to be okay. There is no redemption. Her only redemption was old girl and she lost that. So now, yeah, fuck it. Let's just have orgies. Let's go get DP'd. On the uh, chocolate and vanilla side of the game, right? Wow. But after that happened, she still came out <laughs> I paid and a she picture, saved don't I date? Starlight from Black. <laughs> after all that dissension, she still came back and she saved Starlight from Black Noir, right? So right. maybe now the only thing left for her to do to end the season is she's the one to throw the ultimate wrench in the plans of Storm uh, Stormfront and Homelander. What else does she have left? If she's the only one that's that powerful enough to do that. What other road does she, what other avenue as a character does she have left? There's only one episode left this season, right? Right. Right. We had to look and, that up last night because I'm like, God, there seems like a lot of shit left to un- undress in well, one episode. But yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I felt that this ep- this episode felt like a season finale all on its own. Like there are so Could've many been. threads that if you ended this season at the end of seven, I would be like, you want to talk about building excitement for season three 
like you in this season where it ended. And I guess that's a perfect segue uh, since we've gone, you know, pretty far into this. The hearing. My God. <laughs> Heads exploding. Well, we know who did it. Do right? we? We do. Do we? Do? Oh, yeah. I saw them. It's who, like, uh, who, who, you, you saw them walk out of the fucking institution an episode ago. Okay. Uh, all right. But, 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 yeah, the, the, the chick who, the chick who did that. But here's the thing is the biggest question with her is how do her powers work? If it's really her, how did she get to the hearing from the girl who walks out of Shady Grove who gets shot, but she doesn't die. And she gets in the car with like, she's hitchhiking at the end of episode six. And she gets in a car with some dude, right? Or somebody. We don't know if it's so, a guy or girl. Who made the CIA director's Ooh. head explode earlier in the season? Well, Stormfront could have. We think How? so. But see, that's she the was, thing. has been there the whole damn time, guys. Okay. You saw her walk into that institution. That is how they started asking these questions. Come on, you. They, they've shown you. But let, you let's be let's it. be honest. We this, don't know no. that for sure. It, it seems like the most logical. Really, suspect. You really, don't. This is the, this oh, is the moment. Yeah, where you're yeah, doubt. yeah. I know what you're talking about. We don't. This, know. this is this is the one you're going to be like. Are we sure? Okay, I'm, I'm not sorry. sure. Are you, I'm not sure. Are, are you absolutely okay. you going to put your house on the line and say, I'm sure it's her? I am, I am as sure as this. Nerd fight. Nerd fight. They're going to start <laughs> slap sure boxing here in a second. I'm sure that the president really does have COVID-19. Uh, that's right. how let's, sure I am. That's that's. Nope, that's <laughs> but the thing about her is that, okay, let's, whoever it is, whether it's her or somebody else, the big, big thing is how do her powers work? Because is she in the hearing room? Does she have to? Huh? She has telekinesis. Yeah, but does she have to have line of sight? Does she have to be in proximity to them? Is this like Luke Skywalker in, in Last Jedi where you can do this across galaxies and shit? Um, how does a power set work? How does she do this? I mean, that's that's the thing. And, and like she was selective in who got taken out. And we know now that soups are not immune because Shockwave gets his head blown off. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, but Homelander, awesome. Homelander and Stormfront don't. And I mean, there was a sense of dread that like in that scene, like, okay, who's you didn't want to see one of your favorites get wiped out. And you yeah, just it was thought like here's... Walking Dead episode. Exactly. Here's here's my thing. And this is why I think that it's this person and why I think that Stormfront is the one behind all of this. Anyway, you talked about Homelander and Stormfront standing up. Not only did they, they just didn't do anything. They didn't even look surprised. Like, they just watched it go down. And to me, and maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong next week, I get to eat crow. I just, I think it was, I think they were behind it. I think that Stormfront knew how to track her down. I think that how her powers work to me are kind of irrelevant because it's not that hard to sneak somebody that nobody's seen before in a fucking courtroom. Cause the people that saw her were watching the whole trial on a television. Like they weren't there. So to me, it seems pretty simple to bring in somebody with a shaved head that, you know, just put her in clothes and say, start popping people. Don't pop these people. The only person that didn't get killed that I was surprised didn't get killed was the congressperson who was behind getting the hearing going. Like, or, I just kept uh, waiting for her head to. Or explode. Mallory. I thought Mallory was going to AOC. Too. Yes. Basically. The, yeah. AOC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought she was going to get it, too. I'm not going to lie. Right. But. I have one counter to what you said about Homelander just being so cool, calm and collected in the courtroom. And I'm just playing devil's advocate here at this point. I'm, I'm going to bring wrestling in here for a second. 
with the Roman Reigns quote unquote heel turn. One of the most subtle things he does is that when Paul Heyman is sitting there talking about him, he doesn't move. He doesn't move one inch. Why doesn't he move one inch? Because he knows he's the baddest melon farmer in the universe. And if some shit pop off, there's nothing that he can't handle. And I feel like Homelander kind of takes up that space as well. So he might have been surprised, but I'm Homelander. What they going to do to me? I'm Homelander. I really hope you do that on Potter's War this week. You analogize Homelander to Roman Reigns. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. Go ahead. <laughs> no response for Tony. You're giving me, me Potter's War flashbacks. What's that? Go ahead, play. Yeah, uh, the Browns are uh, beating the Cowboys 38-14 to 14 in the third quarter. Oh, and, and Cleveland's not Atlanta, so this should be safe. And somewhere Stephen A. Smith is laughing and he's a giant yes. smile on his face. All right. So didn't I see I thought I saw Homelander look towards um Stormfront and to see like if she knew what was going on and he didn't seem she didn't seem worried, so he didn't seem worried. That's how I took it. Which I think is a very reasonable response. Like I I didn't actually pick up on it that way, but if you look at just the way that he's followed her lead since sort of embracing her it makes a lot of sense he's always been let him out by pussy the, what if it was the kid pussies, which makes sense the, what if it was the kid that popped all their heads ryan's Didn't got those powers the yeah they, I mean, had the kid. they already had the kid could be i mean maybe we haven't seen the full extent of his powers oh. we know we know that his eyes can glow talk about That's a it. swerve oh, that would be that would be a bad swerve <laughs> right which, of course, Homelander would have an Oedipus complex. He grew up with no mother. So, of course, he would, you know, when he gets grown and he's a sociopath, he would equate nurturing and sex in this weird kind of way. Like, that's I, I don't think that's very surprising, but it's interesting. So, I like how they broke out the technical difficulties after every they witnessed the entire room get wiped out. <laughs> then there's I mean, technical difficulties. I think that I was mean, for levity, though. That was supposed right. to be a cop. I, I, I got to tell you, it. That sort of thing reminded me of like the most horrific thing I ever saw on television live as a child. And that was the Challenger tragedy. Like I like I, I totally equated that. Like just you're watching this thing that's supposed to be a big deal. And this horrible thing happens and everybody's just frozen as they cut away. There's a and special on that on Netflix right now. I know it's on my list. I want to watch it. I, it's 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 my I haven't got around to yet. Um this week's actually my big week because I'm I'm not working this week, so I'm hoping to get caught up on a lot of stuff. But uh, can I use you may, for my own job because I need help? And it, go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, Sorry, man. No, thank you. Um, hey, so, man, what's the pay like, man? You know? Yeah. What do you actually, What do you need? What is, what is <laughs> the pay like, Dave? Because this is an unpaid <laughs> vacation I'm getting, courtesy of the state of Massachusetts. Ah, uh, so. you already turned it down, man. Get to the back of the line. That's right. I, I mean, I'm I'll just saying, hey, the back of the line, but I, I'm never free. But I'm always available. <laughs> Meanwhile, on my end, I get texts from my wife. The new Panda Express is open. That's what's going on here in California. <laughs> Orange chicken for everybody. It's got All a drive right. through. So that's important. So so we're going to bring this to a close. I've got a brief announcement. Next week is the season finale uh, of season two. And I wanted to do something a little bit bigger. So I'm really excited that right now we have a supersized panel that I know is coming to be 
thus far, I've, I've put out questions to some folks I've gotten commitments from. One, Mr. Christopher Platt, he's going to be back uh, for the panel next week. We're going to have Ray Cash as guest host for the show, so he's going to stay for the whole show, but he's going to he's definitely in for that. I've invited the other man in the in the panel today, uh, but I'm sure he's got to look at his schedule and and let us know if he if he would like to be back at the talk season finale, and uh, and maybe one other. Um, but I would really love like it'll it'll be a huge panel, be a mess um, in terms of we'll have six people on, but it's everybody everybody on this has been following the show, has been invested in the show, and has had good things to say about it. And I would love. I feel like this season's been amazing as as a show. Like and and I feel like so often we're so hyperbolic when we talk about these shows that we review, and I, I really don't feel like we've struck out ever. This has probably been my favorite. You know, shit's gonna go off the rails next week. I, I mean, you look at this episode, and and there's no doubt that they are gonna do something next week, which you're just gonna be like, holy shit, and then you're gonna have to wait for who knows how 2027, hopefully not that long, for uh for season three. So I'm I'm super excited trepidatious too but very excited so you know what's weird is i was thinking about this yesterday you know because i knew i was going to come on the show and i've watched these seven episodes and on one hand it almost feels like it was, it's been kind of a slow burn but then on the other hand there's been a lot of shit that's happened as well so i it, it, it's weird and maybe it's just because everything's moved so rapidly and I'm just not ready for the show to go away. But I'm with Dave, man. Some shit's going down next week. Some oh, shit is going absolutely. down. You know, that look on Butcher's face to close out the show is all you need to know. But we're going to save that for next week's podcast. We are going into we're at about the one hour mark on the show, and it was all covering the boys episode seven. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm going to call an audible on the rundown. We're going to go to break first. We're going to cut out the trailer park. Sorry, just too much, too much going on today. And we'll go into some other news bits when we come back. But before we go, need to remind everybody to jump onto the interwebs and head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and check out our selection of shirts, support our network. There's all kinds of great stuff for you there. If you like what you're hearing in terms of content, there's our bandwagon nerd shirt, of course. We've got some fun slogans that you've heard other folks say, like Jesus did the job, hashtag save tag team wrestling. You can still, there's still time to throw your support behind political candidate Christopher Platt with the Platt Belaz 2020 campaign shirt, as well as your standard chairshot.com shirts as well. 20 bucks basically for a regular shirt, but if you're feeling fancy and want to throw a little extra cash our way, you can always go soft style. Feel free. We'll love you for it. Thank you to Rob from Christopher Platt. Please and thank you. Thank you and please. When we come back, we're going to talk about some shows that are coming up, and then we're going to break out some Spider-Man news. This is Bandwagon Nerds on thechairshot.com. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. I know he's still listening even though he walked away, so this one's for him. Chair shot. Network.
She's all yours, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. Every time you play that on your other podcast, it makes me smile. Uh, so you, you're, of course, welcome to do so on ours. Let me uh, just one quick note before you move the show along. Uh, sure. The boys, the boys season three, it is happening. They're scheduled to start filming in early 2021. And the plan is to have that out before the end of 2021. So just to tie up that loose end real quick. Oh, it gives me chills just to think about. And last week we even talked about the spinoff show. There's not a lot of news coming on that one, but college students with superpowers is going to be a good time as well whenever they get that rolling. And can I say something to you, Patrick? Uh, Some behind the scenes stuff. We'd uh, put the poll up about the nerd review, the poll about whether the 1981 or 2010 Clash of the Titans was better. Patrick's prediction was five votes. This we is, killed that. I, it's funny. We got 22, which 22 is our magic number. You know that 22 listeners. That's, they all tuned in. But you know what? Thank you to all 22 people who voted on that, except for those yahoos who voted for the 2010 version. Cause <laughs> you're an idiot. It was still, it was still 64 to 36. So a comfortable margin for the 81 version. But yeah, the 36% of you guys out there, what the fuck are you thinking? I never seen the old one, so I put the it's new on one. Netflix, God damn it, Tony. Watch it on Netflix. There's a lot of stuff on Netflix. <laughs> I know. My queue is like 300 movies long. Not counting TV shows. Damn, it sounds and like my, my queue, comicsology Which is mostly list. my kid, but it's like <laughs> my kid's queue is mostly my queue, but like with kid shows. Does that make sense? Like there's like three Lego movies that like my son loves. And then the rest of it's like, oh, I bet he'd love this. Let's watch it together. And then he's like, Daddy, this is boring. I was like, whatever, I'm going to keep watching it. <laughs> Legend of Korra, go. <laughs> so anyway, welcome back. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to we're gonna cut through some of the, uh, the topics and uh, go over some things briefly. We did get some more Marvel news this week, and I want to tackle that first in regards to the Avengers, as the MCU has finally cast a Miss Marvel. And I'm going to share, I know nothing about this actress. Nobody does. That's the problem. Why is that a problem? I mean, not problems, not a good word. Nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. She's got really limited experience. And I mean, she doesn't even have an IMDb. Yes. Yeah. She is a teenager, which does fit the suit, so to speak. But, uh, and she is, you know, what is she Pakistani or um, I don't know what, what nationality she is. I'm not sure it matters, but you know, that that's the interesting thing is that no one knows anything about her. And the character, the casting is a big deal because it's this is one you want to talk about a casting decision that Marvel's got to get right. This this is one of the ones that they they really have to get right because this is a beloved character. She's a newer character too. For those of you who don't know, Miss Marvel is not Captain Marvel. So we're not talking about Brie Lawson's character. We are talking about a um, young woman by the name of Kamala Khan. She is a Pakistani American Jersey girl uh, who. I don't even know the full extent extent of her powers other than she has a similarity like Mr. Fantastic where she can stretch her arms. Uh, seems like she has super strength, can fly maybe. Makes her hands Just, real big. Yeah. Um, and the thing that's really unique about this character is that she's a superhero who's like a super fan of the Avengers. And so it's, it's very much going to uh, – I'm thinking going to be a casting where you, you have this character who's just – sort of wide-eyed in that Peter Parker sort of way that you get with Spider-Man, like so excited to be here yet very, very powerful. And she's just a very popular 
character amongst the comics fan base. So it's, yeah, she's this is got, the first time sorry. we put a relative unknown in a role, I think, really since Thor. Because let's be real, how many of us really knew who Chris Hemsworth was before Thor? Not really. Not too much. I, I mean, she's got Miss Marvel has a lot of exposure now because she's a central character in the Avengers video game, which is pretty popular and doing quite, you know, doing well sale wise. But yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting casting decision with uh, and similar to She-Hulk, you know, She-Hulk that I forget the actress's name, but she's got more experience um, than this one does. But yeah, it's kind of they're kind of going in this direction where lesser known people. But Marvel, as we've said for almost an entire year now almost always gets the casting right. So they must see something in her, something that she did appeal to them and say, this is the one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Miss Marvel is one of those, uh, up and, you know, rising characters in the MCU or not the MCU, the MCU. Yeah. And the MU as well. But, uh, I'm curious, sure. To see what they do with her and how they portray her character and how they do differentiate her from Mr. Fantastic, who, she does seem like the power set is extraordinarily similar to his without the intelligence level. But, you know, right. We'll see. I, I've Dude. been very critical of some of uh, the Marvel casting decisions. I've, I've criticized it as being very pandering, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Considering the, the climate that we're in, but I've kind of done a 180 on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's mainly because of, the foothold that the MCU or the MU has in pop culture right now. Like it's such, you know what I mean? It's such a powerful force within the pop culture lexicon that I think it's kind of cool that, that kids of all colors and creeds and nationalities and whatnot, they have their own superhero that they can identify with and they get to see somebody that looks like them on the screen, kicking ass and taking names. Right. And they, they have been extraordinarily late to the party when it comes to their casting and their characters and, and, some and, of the and it's still pandery. Don't, don't right. get me wrong. It's no, still it's, pandering, but at the same point in time, some good can come, even if it's not well, coming from the most genuine of places, some good can still come out of some. some well, things, and you know? I, I think that, I think that there were, I think the biggest turning point is still, and I don't know, silly is not the right word, but the biggest turning point for Marvel to realize that this was a big deal. Um, and that casting was probably more important than they were giving it credit to came when they did the casting for Dr. Strange. And, the backlash that came out of the casting of the ancient one when they cast Tilda Swinton, a white American, a white British woman in a role that has been traditionally played by uh, an Asian man, an age, an old Asian Asian man. I don't think Marvel quite understood what it was getting itself into um, in terms of, of casting and casting being important. And, and they, they haven't really done a great job of, you know, bringing to the forefront some of those characters that could be representative pandering though it may be. And now we're seeing it in, in, in phase four, late phase three, you know, obviously black Panther proved to the world that, you know, you don't have to have white people be your heroes for them to make money. Like, let's call it what it is like that. There is, there are other audiences out there that will make, will pay money. Now, Black Panther is a terrific movie. We've talked about it ad nauseum on the show, but it it opened the door for Marvel to then be more comfortable with characters of different races being leads. Uh, we're going to see 
our first true LGBT character into the four when we get our next Thor movie, when Thor love and thunder comes about Valkyrie is going to basically officially come out. That's, that's the word on the street has been confirmed by Tessa Thompson. Brian Tyree too, in the, um, what's, what's the, what's the movie? The, um, not the untouchables. Um, Oh my goodness. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The Eternals. The Eternals. Yes. Yeah. He's also going to play a homosexual character. Right. Yep. That came out. Um, we're going to have our first Asian-led vehicle from Marvel and Shang-Chi. So, Marvel, Mar- I guess it's a better late than never thing. Um, and for whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it a pandering move, which it is, it's a money move. It absolutely is. It's also the right move, even even if it's late, in my opinion. That's fair. But I, I never understood that rationale, because you guys remember... It's probably been, what, about 10 years ago now where somebody leaked those Sony emails and Amy Pascal was having all these conversations with people. And she was talking about, well, we'd love to cast Denzel, but he won't sell overseas. And I'm thinking, what? Right. what it, 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 if you just take two seconds of thought after hearing that statement, you'll see how much that statement doesn't make sense. Because the majority of the world, mm-hmm. world is black and brown. That doesn't even make sense. I, I didn't mean to bring I, everything to screeching hall. No, no, no. You no, cut no, out no, for no, a no, second. You, you, you froze yeah, for a second. Froze. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you yeah, said no, something you're, you're very right, profound, though. <laughs> no, no. no he, I, think it, we got, I think we got the entire point. You just froze in the middle of it on our point. That's why we all kind of stopped. Right. So I think there's – obviously there's more to come with this as, as Marvel continues to, to reveal. She's going to get her own series on Disney+, Plus, which I think is the other thing that's really kind of exciting is that we're not going to get introduced to her in a movie. From the way I understand it, she's going to get introduced first in this series in Disney Plus, and then that's going to transition into the films. So I hope it's more smooth than the way they tried to shoehorn MCU stuff into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But, um, you know, I think with Disney having a little bit more control with the Disney Plus sort of thing that it will, it'll make sense. and It'll be there. But I'm looking forward to it. Can I ask you guys something? Just something I thought about. Does it seem like Marvel shifted their 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 strategy now to focus more on the streaming because they know the movies are just kind of I mean, I know all this stuff was in the works, but they seem to have accelerated things the last couple of weeks. Now they're casting people and really trying to get that out there because they are like, well, we can't do much with the movies right now. Let's focus on the streaming where we can get a lot of new content out there and we can control things a little bit differently. Do you think their their business strategy has changed a little bit or was this always the plan? I think it got accelerated from your point because I think they had a lot of these ideas and a lot of these things in the works. And I think a lot of it had to do with the success that DC was having on the television side, the CW. So that way you come along with the streaming kind of shows from Marvel side and what better time than to pour more gasoline on that fire than right now with what you just said is what, you know, people going to the movies and things of that nature. No one's willing to even spend $30 on, you know, live action Mulan. I, I completely agree with Tunny because the thing is, COVID didn't kill any industries. As Tunny said, it just accelerated the death of certain industries. And I mean, the box office for a long time has been hanging on by a thread. And I say that as a guy that loves going to movies. That was our Sunday tradition. Right. Sunday morning, we would get up and go, you know, go to the cinema. But yeah, I, I, so I think they are kind of steering it to the skin. And this is where they were heading anyway. And I mean, from a business aspect, it's the smart thing. Now, the funny thing comes with um, when we start to get into, and I'm, I'm kind of getting in the weeds here, but this is bandwagon nerd, so we can do that. 
when when it comes to uh you know compensation and 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 you know ownership rights and stuff like that and residuals like how does that work that it, it's basically the wild west at this particular point in time i don't think anybody has figured out how this works yet am i am i wrong i i honestly am, am not at a place where i could answer that question like i have no idea how streaming how a streaming series works and how it's different well, from I'm say sure a show on network television or something like that. It's well, got to all be in the. It's got to all be in the contract somewhere. Right. These people got to know what they've gotten into. That's all got to be in there. But I mean, there's got to be numbers, right? I think the more important way to go with that question is isn't there? What is the what is the cinema, the movies, the the, the theater industry need to do once people can go back out again to stay alive? Because look well, at everything. There's there's a there's a million times more content than there's ever been, and right. at home you have the best home experience you've ever had. I mean, the reason to go to movies all the time was because you were sitting at home watching this box that was twelve by twelve inches, and it was black and white, and you could go watch this screen that was bigger than a wall in your house. You know, with the sound, you can get all that at home now. What is what do the theaters need to do to get people back there? That's a that's a terrific question. I nearly altered the rundown. It's it's funny that this conversation is coming up because I, I an article flowed through one of my feeds that said I think it was AMC theaters are six months away from closing entirely, and that the pandemic has really had a lot to do with that. And, and Platt, to to your point. You know, the movie, the movie theater industry has been struggling for a long, long time. And that's why you started to see changes in, in sort of the presentation and amenities. Uh, for the longest time, depending on where you lived, for example, like in Massachusetts, for the longest time, you couldn't get a beer at a movie theater. Like you just couldn't do it. And then suddenly, uh, about five, six months before things shut down, I went to the movies and they were finishing up their newly minted bar at my local Cinemark to be able to serve alcohol at the movie theater because they're looking for ways to bring people into a movie theater and give them a unique experience. Marcus has movie tavern now where you basically right. go in and it's a bar and, and then they right. also have bistros where you sit down and you eat your food there. Like, does it become dinner, dinner theater, you know, things right. of that nature? Like, well, Greg DeMarco, what does it have to be? DeMarco talks about one of the favorite theaters he would take his family to was like a simulated drive-in theater slash restaurant sort of thing. I don't remember if they were shaped like cars or if it was like a dinner table sort of thing. Like, like, like you're Jack Rabbit Slim from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But they, but they went and you, you had full on dinner and a, and a movie like that was your thing. And it was like recliners and right. tables and like as much like out that here we've got like a, out here I, we've got that studio. A, here we go million dollar idea do at the movie theater there you go it takes an hour and a half to do that shit anyway right and right. you always just want to sit there and take your time unbuckle your belt stick your hand down there you know relax for a little al bundy action what do you think you know then, then you you got enough time you're watching the movie you can actually get to dessert not feel uncomfortable because the waitress is rushing you out right well like out here we have the studio movie grill where you sit there yeah, and you we, get we, yeah you, we have those here so too. those those kind of theaters will probably still do okay because they're but it's they're such a niche it is but it's right. diversified is that, is and they're offering all it. that's going to be left at some point yes 
if you're a like, pure that's just theater, not a sustainable model. Yeah, if you're like, a pure theater for the for the film industry, nobody's gonna go. I, I mean, I don't know. I it, 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 I, I mean. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, man, when this pandemic first broke, I started Googling drive-ins in Atlanta yeah. and trying to see not, – not not to watch. I'm like, okay, well, if people don't feel comfortable being sitting in movie theaters with people, they'll come drive their cars. I'm thinking, okay, so maybe I can get a loan or something like that and go get a drive-in. Ultimately, financially, it just wasn't feasible enough for the, the amount of money I would have had to pay and – they don't really make that much money to begin with. You know, neither do the movie theaters. But, you know, the thing is, man, this is even pre-COVID. Everybody yeah. no, is fighting. The The pie has gotten exponentially smaller. So everybody is fighting for our disposable income. And that's, you know, the, the professional sports leagues, the movie theaters, WWE, concerts, amusement parks. Like, everybody is fighting for this one pie that is getting smaller and smaller every year. So... Whatever is on the other side of whatever is happening right now, it's going to be a lot different than what it is right now. And I don't know what that looks like. And frankly, it's kind of a scary feeling because <sighs> I mean, do I, I mean, need, need I say more? I, I think we're on, you know, y'all, y'all feel where I'm coming from. This, this yeah. is going to be scary to see what happens on the other side. Cause there's going to be a lot of industries that are no longer here. And what's that going to do to our way of life? Sure. Entertainment industry will be doing well, but it won't be what it was. It'll be a different dynamic, a different model entirely. I think once we're on the other side of this, but like we keep saying, Patrick, 2027 is going to be a hell of a year, man. Hell of a year. It is going to be, it's going to be a big time. 2027 rolls around. Everything exciting is coming out. (laughs) So I want to talk about something light really, really quick. And this is just because the, the young teenage Patrick in me, actually early college age Patrick, got came across a, a news report. Conan the Barbarian is returning, my friends. They're getting a television series streaming, because of course it's streaming. I do believe on Netflix. I'm bringing it. Yes. By Crom, a new Conan the Barbarian series is coming to Netflix. So... Feel free to pipe in if you want. I don't have much to ask what, about this. What is it? What is it? Is it just, you know... It, it, it's They've sealed the deal with the properties to move we forward know any, with the new series. There's you know no... The cast, it, any casting we know, or anything? We know nothing about this yet. It is no official title, creative team attached to it, nothing. All I wanted okay, out because, of this panel is what do you want to see out of a Conan... The uh, Barbarian uh, television show. We're going to get want? actual. Hu- we're going to get actual human beings, and it's going to be soap opera. She, I think. But here's what I would like to have seen was an adult cartoon. Hmm. Now, now that has some serious possibilities. I mean, think start, about I the mean, comedy there. You oh, could yeah. do. It could be a dark comedy that that pokes almost pokes fun at Arnold Schwarzenegger and his movie portrayal. <laughs> a la Archer. It's like Archer for Barbarians. No, but I, right, but I mean, come on now. I mean, you know. No, I, I, I hear you. And, and I think that, yes, I think a big part of Conan is is kind of the tongue-in-cheek, over-the-topness of it all. And, and I think that's been kind of lost in some of the more recent attempts at adaptations. Uh, I don't know that this has any impact on the old man Conan thing that they're looking to do, where they they are casting Arnold again to reprise the role. Uh, but I think that's a separate movie. All I want to see 
are copious amounts of heads rolling and, and blood spraying everywhere. Cause that's damn it. Let's and some weird, just weird rituals. Cause that's what Conan like Conan was always like wandering the world and wandering upon weird sex sect. C T no, not weird, no, no. weird you, sex you, you too. Right. Yeah, right. weird sex too. Yeah. I was sexy gonna say I want to see half naked Grace Jones as well because you know she got Jones. to be sexy. She got to be seventy, but she could still get it. Grace is well preserved. I always wonder what that plastic thing on her head was supposed to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that weird like yeah. helmet. Like what was that? Dave, what how, do you want to see out of it? How about Winston Duke? <laughs> oh, I, yeah. you know, I to be real. Yeah. To be straight with you, I'm not the hugest Conan fan in the world, but I, I appreciate him. Room. Get out of the get out of the show. <laughs> but Conan's been around since 1939, so there is a wealth of material that they can inject into this series, and lots and lots and lots of stories that have not been told yet. That it's a it's a deep universe that they can really tap into. That what did we get? Two, three movies that were one was great, the other one eh, was all right. Yeah. And it had then, Wilt is still it had life. Wilt though. Yeah, oh, yeah, we did have that's, Will that's and a true. beheaded James Earl Jones, but that was the first one. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, if it's a Netflix series, it's going to be done well, and and if they're tapping into a lot of material that that they haven't really broached before, then it's got certainly a lot of potential, and maybe to get somebody like me who's who's kind of a a, a lukewarm fan. I'd say more than lukewarm, but somebody like me to push me into wanting to learn more about the lore and that sort of thing. So. As long as they're going to show some of that stuff, I, I mean, you know, Netflix doesn't usually get it wrong. So I'm I'm excited as it's going to be better than the online video, the MMORPG. That's for damn sure. I, I do worry that this is the sort of thing that gets lost in the shuffle when you've got shows like The Witcher, when you've got shows like Lock and Key. And at, one, at what point is, you know, Tony even talked about it, just the amount of content that exists. You uh, talked about it with uh, all the movies in your in all the stuff in your right. queue. I mean, where are you going to sleep? 2027 is going to be a great time to debut the new Conan show. <laughs> That's right. On Netflix. So, Platt, if you, I, just to catch you up, because I think Tony's heard this, I've just decided that nothing new is coming until 2027. It, it appears right, partic- that way, right? Partic- particularly in the theaters. Like, I don't think we're getting the Black Widow movie until 2027. Like, Wonder Woman <laughs> we 1984. We got a brand new Saturday Night Live last night. What are you talking Congratulations about? Congratulations to Jim Carrey. And, <laughs> Pop. and, and well, and he I heard good. the fire stole the show. Was good. He was good. Um. Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't I watch. I would so I don't know. I, she was. She was excellent, but I wouldn't say that she stole the show. Well, all right. So the last two top. I got two last topics I want to talk. I want us to talk about in depth. The first one is one that gives me the heebie-jeebies because it was announced earlier this week on the on the twenty eighth, whenever that was, that the Los Angeles Comic Con is moving forward with its plan to hold an in-person convention in December at the LA Convention Center. Can I so, <laughs> go ahead, man. Dave, as as the Californian in the room, response? California. There is virtually no chance that happens. This is wishful bullshit thinking on the part of the Los Angeles Comic-Con. They they can't they can't even open Disneyland. We can't even have indoor dining. And they're talking about doing an in-person Comic-Con. It's just, and when I read the article and and looked in a couple other places, it's just, they're planning on doing it. That's their plan is that they want to do it in person. It's, 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 you know, and I know a lot of people like, that's just the dumbest shit ever. Why would you even think about doing that? Wishful thinking. Maybe they're hoping that there's going to be a vaccine available by then. 
and, and they want to do something and they've got all these safeguards in preparation. And I mean, I've been to E3 at the LA Convention Center, so I know how big the place is. And yeah, theoretically, you could do it, I guess, in theory again. But just because you can do it in theory doesn't mean it should be done. This is a bad idea. None of the other cons are doing it. The LA Comic Con is not the Comic Con. It's a good enough event, sure. But I just think it's narrow-minded and it's just going to get people's expectations and hopes up. And then next month they'll say, ah, that's not going to happen. So it's admirable that they want to be optimistic, but... I would say the chances of that happening are the chances of the Washington football team coming back to beat the Ravens. And it's 28 to 10 with 814 left in the fourth right now. So there you go. He says as he dusts off his Batman costume. That's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the great thing, man. Most of the melon farmers there are going to be in mask anyway because they're going to be in cosplays. So, yeah. <laughs> Facial coverings. We don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I didn't realize that you guys didn't have open dining in oh. out in California. Outdoor only. Indoor dining mm. is not allowed. I mean, you know, and it, I mean, uh, and Disney just made the announcement this week. They're laying off 28,000 people and they threw the blame straight at California. And, mm. and I don't blame them. We're losing WrestleMania. They're moving Mania yeah, from L.A. to, to Tampa, Tampa because yeah. of the same bullshit. Because Vince knows California is going to be fucked for the next year. Because well, our but just just to put this out there, is it really fucked? Like, and like, whose fault is this? Because if you look at the trend that our country is taking right now, we just had our highest number of new cases since August yesterday. True. So, so, and this is what this is what I think is really challenging is because this is really this really comes down to the heart of the pandemic and whether this is a good idea. Like, I I the government. Re- the government restrictions notwithstanding, I want good things. I want fun things to do. To me, this is about a wanton disregard for public health, which is really what how how poorly we've handled this as a country anyway. And I don't want to get too political with this this whole statement, but cons bring in thousands upon thousands of people. And if we're on an uptick, which seems like we might be if you just look at numbers across the country, whether or not you want to blame California for, for keeping shit shut down. Should like, should we be doing this? Should we be doing any of this? And to be real, California, the governor who I'm not very fond of right now, he's got a bigger fish to fry because the whole state's still on fire. So in the grand scheme of things, reopening Disneyland or all these shit that's, you know, losing essentially the entire Napa Valley right now, bigger problems that California is dealing with than Disneyland. But at the same time, you're talking 28,000 people who are losing their jobs. And a big part of that is, yeah. And I know numbers in Florida are way down. You would expect that, but yeah, keeping Disneyland shuttered when they're like, Hey, we can do it. We can follow what Florida's done. We can keep it safe. And then I watched like Georgia Auburn yesterday. There's 25,000 people in the fans. None of them socially distanced. And none oh, of them yeah. wearing I masks. I, I was watching that game too. And I'm like, they were like, oh, Georgia's, Georgia only let 20% of its fans in. I'm like, my <laughs> left foot. It looked like half like, full to me. <laughs> right. But I mean, there was no good answers going into this. You know what I mean? Right. You either shut down the entire country and risk the economy going into the tank. And if that happens, we're literally 72 hours away from becoming Mad Max in the Thunderdome. Y'all, y'all know how people are. Or 
you try to keep the economy afloat and you risk, you know, you put potential millions of people's lives at risk. Like there were no good options. And both parties, every side, they turned this into a partisan issue when it wasn't a partisan issue. Well, it was it, a human issue. It was a life issue. Right. And, and, and you know what I mean? that's the thing is you saw where the value, what was valued here. And it wasn't human life. And yeah, again, I, I'm not, I'm not going to soapbox this no, too much. Our, our the, economy should have taken it. The the money wasn't even the value. If we would have all stayed our asses at home for three months, we'd be back to normal right now. But we couldn't even do that. Ish. We couldn't even come Ish. to that decision. Ish. Right. Yeah. Right. We could have did it. I think it. Ish is the right answer. I think that it's it's fascinating to me. And that's, you know, to get back to this, I like, I, I, I go back and forth in this. And I say this and I feel a little hypocritical on some level because I do recognize the natural desire to want normalcy. Because and, and I'll use myself as an example. I've talked about this many, many times. I'm in a bowling league, right? Uh, I am an officer for this bowling league. Like I am the secretary and the treasurer of this bowling league, which means that I take everybody's money for their bowling dues and I collect all scorecards that are handwritten by people. I hand out pins that are touched by everybody. And, and I do that every Thursday for a group of 25 that then go out into the world and do whatever. And so I've, I have made a conscious decision to participate in this, but the idea of going to a place with some thousand of people and, and holding an event, I, I just, I find a little suspect and I'm a little concerned. It should be. Uh, if they did it, I'd be very concerned. Right. I, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I really just think, don't you think, see you think the government's going to, California governor is going to keep it out of, out of play. I think they'll do the right thing and they'll just say, you know, we're not going to meet, you know, we're not going to meet the governor's protocol. They're not reopening this sort of stuff. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Disney at this point hasn't just said, you know what? Screw you. We're reopening anyway. We'll pay your <laughs> stupid fine, but we need to get people back in here. Um, right. You know, Cause it's not like Newsom's going to send in the military, you know, <laughs> he's not going to get support from Trump for that. I mean, Lord knows we need people to be bored by it's a small world a little bit more. Oh, that's uh, 11 minutes of air conditioning, man, which is great in the summer. <laughs> Shit is trash. It's the worst ride I've ever been on in my entire life. That is my son's favorite ride. Just so you know. Poor kid. God. Is he okay? <laughs> Did you beat him as a child or no. something? Like, you know, I was going to say, my son does work on a Minecraft server. They are trying to be the first Minecraft server to do. They do it's like a simulation of Disneyland. And oh, no. all, the, all the Minecraft servers who do that are trying to launch something where rise of the resistance is replicated in Minecraft. So they're trying to be the first ones to do that, which I'm like, God, that's gotta be a really tough. If you ever got to these Minecraft things where they've replicated Disneyland, they are really, really good. And they're trying as to a father is as a father who's watched his son obsessively go through Minecraft videos yes. and play Minecraft left and right. I, I know of what you speak as someone who's actually ridden rise of the resistance. Uh, it's a great time. And so good luck replicating that. Yes, we know you're the only Let's one. Let's move in. Let's move into our final topic of the day, something a little more fun. At least I hope it's more fun. So another rumor that popped out, and this is still a rumor, uh, I've seen, but it got posted everywhere. Uh, and I shared the Hollywood Reporter article that announced that Jamie Foxx is allegedly in negotiations to reprise his role as Electro. Oh, role that he it. played from an Amazing Spider-Man 2. <sighs> Son of a bitch! Why? <laughs> really? I didn't. I didn't read the whole. Th I just seen Jamie Foxx to re reprise role, and I didn't know what you were from. 
I what, was you thought it was going to be Ray 2? No, I thought they were going to do Ray a spinoff of, of Horrible Bosses <laughs> and Motherfucker Jones was going to have his own movie. <laughs> no. Sorry, Tony. That's, yeah, that's not really what like I... Project Power 2. There you go, Cinematic Patrick. characters ever. <laughs> Motherfucker so, Jones. All right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it first. I hated Amazing Spider-Man two, and I did not like Jamie Foxx's portrayal of Electro. Much, much to Ray Cash's chagrin in the bandwagon nerds chat. So I'm. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to step back. Let the rest of you, uh, if if you recall his portrayal, kind of get your opinion. And I love Jamie Foxx as an actor, so I do want to say that. Uh, and I do agree that part of because Ray's big point was that. Electro was very, very poorly written uh, in Amazing Spider-Man 2, which a lot of things were really poorly written in Amazing Spider-Man 2. But Jamie Foxx, back as Electro, possibly for the third Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, Spider-Man movie. Thoughts, gentlemen? Why don't we let Platt go first? All right, so full disclosure, I never saw either one of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. I and was, you are okay uh, for that. I, I, I was team Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire. And yes, I know 3 was a little bloated and convoluted, but I just love that combination. So when they decided to go in a different direction, that was my one-man boycott on some fuck Hollywood <laughs> shit. I refused to watch those movies. And, and judging by the uh, the reviews and the fact that they rebooted the series not that much longer afterwards, uh, I was probably on the right side of history in that particular uh, frame of mind. But uh Jamie Foxx is one of the most talented people on the the planet. And again, if he's given good material, and so far, I've I've enjoyed these Spider-Man movies. I really like Tom Holland. Uh, I liked one more than two. But I think this could work. Dave, Tony, either one of you want to jump in there? No, Tony, Dave? Tony's like, no. I I tend to agree with that. I'm not a Spider-Man fan. Sorry. I, um... I liked. We'll bring you back for the Flash episode. Yeah, there you go. I, I mean, I was lukewarm, very lukewarm on the <laughs> the two Amazing Spider-Man movies. I, I tend to side with you, Patrick, that I just did not like the second one at all because they tried to funnel the death of Gwen Stacy storyline in the middle of this just shit show that was going on, which I hated that as an idea. But yeah, I, I didn't like the way they portrayed Electro. I didn't think they gave Jamie a lot of good shit to work with and the movie suffered as a result, you know, going back full circle to a lot of stuff. When we were talking about Miss Marvel and casting, Marvel doesn't generally do casting wrong. And the MCU, the writers there have a, a lot, a much better grasp on what appeals to people. And let's be honest, the whole reason why spider man went to the mcu was because sony was like fuck we've got the rights to this and we fucked it up we need some help and they reached out to marvel and that's where you know uh, homecoming and far from home came from so i i I think with the right material the right writing i agree with platt jamie fox is a phenomenal actor i mean he was the one redeeming part of project power sort of i mean there were other aspects of it that were okay but i i think like um yeah, I mean, if he's given the right stuff to work with, the right material, if Electro's play, portrayed like he should be, then you've got a shot at, 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 at a really big, you know, a, a good, solid role for Jamie Foxx that he can develop and make into a good movie. What I, what I really don't want, and I think my ultimate problem, so there were a couple of problems with Amazing Spider-Man 2. Amazing Spider-Man 2 fell victim to too many bad guys, 
just like amazing, just like Spider-Man three fell victim to too many bad guys. It was really its biggest problem. Like we just did not need venom in Spider-Man three. I really, the portrayal that was done and the way Jamie Foxx played Electro, which I get is partially due to the script. Was it hammy? Well, it was hammy. It was very whiny. Like Jamie Foxx's character was like this dude who just wanted to be noticed and just wanted to have people pay attention to him. And he was so desperate. And he just got so upset when like everybody paid attention to like Spider-Man. So I'm going to zap him. It was just really childish and dumb. And for most of the movie, he actually kind of looked like the way Tony's dressed right now with the hoodie <laughs> pulled over his head, kind of hidden away, like not seen. This it's not about classic. It's true. This is classic. But it's but but when you've got a guy who glows blue and is electric and is like sparkling with energy, do you cover him up with a hood and hide him? No, you don't do that, right. You just don't do that. And so well, Fortunately for us, Tony's not sparkling with energy. There is that. Not it, right it, now. Because there's not a Packers game on. But um, it's Tune just one of the... man weave this week. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, it is, it's just one of those things, like, I'm sitting there and I was like, when I, re- I remember watching Sp- Amazing Spider-Man 2, if they're going to bring that iteration through this multiverse thing, which is what they've talked about, is that we may get three Spider-Men because they, they may bring back Toby, they may bring back Garfield and, and to partner along with Holland, and that we are looking at a possible Sinister Six thing, but it's a Sinister Six with alternate universe Spider-Man characters as they pull in villains from Electro, like like Electro. Yeah, uh, I don't know. And if his if his portrayal is different, I'm I'm open to that. And you're right. Jamie Foxx is a good enough character. I just, I, and maybe it's just that that movie left such a bad taste in its mouth, in my mouth from watching. And I own the movie because I'm a completist. Like I have every Spider-Man movie that's ever been made. Um, kind of like the way Dave just collects everything. Um, you even got the seventies made for TV Spider-Man movies. That I don't have. No, I have his, <laughs> y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I do. Yeah. You have his appearances on electric company when he taught you how to count. <laughs> that I might have actually. That was uh, that was good stuff. Him yeah. and him and Morgan Freeman. Anyway, Letterman. I have no idea Letterman? who taught me how to count. You, I, I, that's weird. I have no idea who taught me how to count. The count or did. read for that matter. I was just two years old reading the newspaper. I have no idea who taught me these things. Existential questions for Christopher Flatt today. Well, we're not going to. Usually, usually call her right my... now. Call her on the phone right now. Call her on the phone this right is, now. This is Band usually my therapy session. <laughs> this is Christopher Platt in a nutshell. I was reading by the time I was two, but couldn't figure out how to tie my shoes till I was seven. <laughs> That's Christopher Platt Ooh. in a nutshell. Book smart, not street smart. I got you. <laughs> all Sorry. right. It's I don't all know how to get on the Skype. <laughs> so let me so let me get you back to Spider Man because I don't care. <laughs> Sinister. Oh, now six. you should. Okay, so you 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 just told me I was pro rape earlier. Now you're just you just said fuck my mom. No, the I fuck, said Pat? the hell, man. Well, What's wrong I with mean, you? What's your problem? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you're the one who doesn't believe survivors. Like I just don't want to hear from your mom today, man. That's, that's cool. I just remind you that this is bandwagon nerds. You're the guest on this show, not the other way around. So back to Spider-Man, because that segue is just not going to work, no matter how hard I try. Welcome to my world. 
Right. Brought, I brought up Sinister Six. We know if Electro comes back, we probably have four that that we know are back that are coming. As we've got Electro, we've got the Scorpion, we've got Morbius in the upcoming Jared Leto Morbius movie, and we've got the Vulture, as we've seen Michael Keaton pop up in the trailer for the Morbius movie that's coming out in 2027. That leaves two vacancies. Venom is a possibility, so I'd give you that. Where do we go? Who who would you round out if you're a Spidey person, Spidey Spider-Man character? Who would you round out your Sinister Six with? I'd love to see Alfred Molina's Doc Ock come back, or even William Defoe's um, Hobgoblin. I loved both those characters. Green Goblin. Green Goblin. I beg your pardon. Shut up. The poser. Fucking wanna be. He's not the Green Goblin. You knew what I meant. I know, and I still corrected you because this is bandwagon oh, nerd. Bandwagon nerd. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, this segment's getting good. <laughs> Comes the flat white guy nope. voice. <laughs> I, I think the title for this episode, Patrick, should be "Plat Hate Survivors." There you go. Mm-hmm. Oh you got, no! You don't you? Do no, that. no, <laughs> hell no! <laughs> I know it's all funny games and shit, and we're busting balls, but no, please don't do that. Well, I get more clicks. <laughs> that sometimes it, you just can't break that rule. No, you can't do no, that. I, I would never do. <laughs> you, get, you get you get the wrong kind of clicks. For the record, I do not believe that Christopher Platt does not believe survivors. I, I I know that he is a better person and a fine human being, despite cheering for the Cleveland Browns. Why are you anyway, forty-one twenty-two man. right now? We're three and one right now. Second tie for the second best record in the league, sir. Oh wait, Platt, you guys so. still have eight minutes to Atlanta this game, so don't count your chickens yet. Touche. Did I just Touché. make the Falcons into a verb? I think I did. Go ahead, Patrick. You know Midwesterners Midwesterners like myself, like at the end of the day, if you're good people, we're going to say you're good people. We're not going to run with a negative narrative, even on a show. This is is, is just just who we are. And, I mean, so you don't believe fictional survivors. Maybe you believe (laughs) possible. (laughs) Back to the Sinister Six. Becca had it coming. <laughs> Damn, Wearing the dresses around Vod all goddamn day. <laughs> all right, I tried to defend you. Now you're on your own. I kid. Really I kid. kid. Oh, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I do think you know. Back to your original point, that Alfred Molina's Doc Ock would be a terrific one uh, to to pull in there. Uh, absolutely, he uh, unquestionably, in my opinion, the best of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man villains. And I and I love Willem Dafoe. Her- Norman Osborn is like my favorite Spidey villain of all time, but Doc Ock and the portrayal was just was just great in Spider-Man Two, and largely regarded as the best Spider-Man movie still to this day. By that might that might have been the best comic book movie at that time. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. You know what I mean? Yeah, at that time, what was that? Oh four? Or, no, that was oh, was it? Oh four when that came out. Early that it was like oh one or oh two. It was really um because yeah. we almost reviewed it for the nerd review. It was in the poll of those like early two thousands before Blade won. I do believe Blade won that one out. Yeah. So, other other uh, other Spidey villains that you would love to see in there? Any new ones? Anyone we haven't seen yet or hasn't been brought up 
in a long time that you'd love to see in there. Craven, for sure. I mean, that's mm. that's the one that, I mean, Craven's last hunt, I know you and I are very partial to that story, Patrick. Um, he is a member of the Sinister Sticks. He's somebody who you could see casting-wise. I don't know who you'd cast for that role, but there's a plethora of possibilities. Uh, he is... Uh, I, got I got one for you. Who? I got one for you. Reigns. Roman Reigns is Craven. Roman Reigns is Craven the Hunter. Fuck yeah. I would totally do that. Especially with his look. He doesn't, you know, you, you can change his country of origin. He doesn't have to be Russian. Like we're past that. Yeah. Here, let's, let's ask this question since you brought up Roman Reigns. Do you, when's the earliest point in time you see him going off to do something like that? Because that's an extended time away from the WWE. So well, think I mean, about that, right? Like, like it's not, fast. it's not, it's, 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 yeah, right. But it, when did he do that? He's not long for that wrestling what? world anyway. Man. And look Shaw? at how he looks, and he's showing he that did. he does yeah, have he some did. acting ability. He did this it's, stuff. He's with, on the clock. He did this. He did this stuff with Rock while he was out because of, with Luke with doing the leukemia, right? Uh, right. Getting, getting taken leukemia taken care of. I'm just saying. So. That's that's the question around the horn then. So Platt, you can start with like, how long is he there and like or not or is he in what at what point is he in the position to start going to these movies or does Vince not have a question right because these are the kind of the kind of things we talk about. That this is what Roman Reigns is perfect for, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think yeah. Great I, I do as well. I, I don't think he's going to be in WWE within the next four years. I mean, he'll he'll be a part timer like Rock and Cena. I I, I think he. I don't know if he has Hollywood aspirations, but looking like he looks and, and showing the depth to his character that he's been showing recently, it's only a matter of time before they come knocking. And that movie, shout out to his cousin for throwing him in there to kind of get his feet wet. So now he's got an IDMB credit and maybe he can sign up and get his SAG card and get some decent insurance and whatnot. But I, I don't know if he's long for the wrestling world at this point in time. Well, I've said for Then years, Roman's got a chance to throw a bone to his cousin and look what he does. What a dude. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Well, I've, <laughs> said, I've said for years that, you know, Roman Reigns and Jason Momoa are very similar looking guys. You know, they look, yeah. uh, I mean, doppelgangers not quite but pretty damn close and you know you see what jason's done with game of thrones with aquaman and with all this other stuff yeah can roman be that far behind for a role like craven he's got the build for it so i like i love that call pat that's a that's an excellent call i would love to see roman jump in there as craven and and just getting craven in the mcu he's the type of character that they really kind of need you know, I mean, they're they're going more cosmic. All this celestial shit. You know, you figure Kree Skrull invasions are going to be happening. Let's get a more grounded kind of character like Craven well, in there. We're, we're gonna have we're gonna have more street level characters. I think that's for sure. Real quick question, because I don't remember the date. Do we? How? When did Roman debut with the big roster? Like, with when did the Shield do their big like reveal? Twenty fourteen. Survivor Series twenty fourteen, right? Somebody look it up. Sounds about right. Before, well, I, I, I was thinking man. like twelve. I'm not or really. I'm not really that interested. I'm not well, that no. Well. The the reason why is because I I feel like he's on a similar career trajectory as The Rock. Like The Rock debuted, and really wasn't. But he really wasn't a part of. Like he wasn't really there for that long like in terms Tony of years was right. when you consider it november 18th so 20, 2012 at the survivor series that was their debut. so he's already so he's already been a part of the company for about eight years it would not surprise That's me if within a three yeah 
if within a three to five year time span, he's not doing movies like, and that wouldn't surprise me, uh, especially if there's, there's a place where he can find a foothold, like you mentioned, Platt and, and does well, like I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So I think the, the thing that I'm excited, like I'm excited for the sinister six. It's a, it's an iconic storyline device i think that this sort of twist if this is really where they're going where it's going to be a multiverse sinister six that's that's a cool way to put this together and uh, i'm here for it real quick can we uh send a shout out to michael keaton's vulture i I really enjoyed him in that character and i mean that might be a way to kind of bring it together he knows who Peter Parker is. I mean, I guess uh, uh, technically, according to the last Spider-Man at the end, everybody knows who Peter Parker is. But I got to imagine that Michael Keaton is up for parole here, you well, know, in, in the near future. You got to I want you to do me a favor. Um, you jump on your Google machine or jump on YouTube and look up the Morbius trailer because he's in the Morbius trailer. He so as as his character. So Vulture is back. In 2027, when Morbius hits theaters, <laughs> we'll, we'll catch it. But no, yeah. that's that's very much a part of it. And it's a very telling line that he gets to drop in that trailer, I think okay. is the way I'm that I'll describe it, it. So check it out. And I'm excited for Morbius anyway, man. I'm a, I'm a Morbius mark. I, I like that character, in, yeah. especially, you know, in the Spider-Man universe. A living vampire. He's a great one. Platt, it's uh, 41 to 30, just to uh, make you sweat a little bit now. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Sorry. As if I don't have it right next to me on the laptop, sir. As Cleveland's defense <laughs> forgets how to play. Uh, y'all are going to push today. Dave, y'all are going to push today, though. You were, you were plus 14, so good for y'all. Added my second tie into my column this year. Yeah, there you go. 31-17. Whatever. So if All the right. lose, could the Browns theoretically be in first place in the division? Theoretically. Theoretically. All right. How can the Browns be in first place? Tied for first with Baltimore. Yes. Yes. I, I'm yeah, using uh, literary lights. But on, okay. But on okay. So you know, we all know how much how bad they are. Right. <laughs> like so since girl. we're all since we're already talking sports, fuck you. Since we're already talking <laughs> You're not my type, but I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. He was talking to me. I was oh, totally talking well, to you're him. not my type either, Tony. Ragging on the bears. <laughs> I like a little more hair. This week's Patrick O'Dowd has a question. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to try to keep myself together a little bit while I talk about this um, because it is a sports related. um, Patrick O'Dowd has a question this week. So this week, my father's hero passed away uh, on Friday. Bob Gibson, Hall of Fame pitcher of the St. Louis Cardinals. He uh, he passed uh, succumbed to pancreatic cancer which I knew he'd been diagnosed with and was um, not, the prognosis was never good. And my dad, like he, he loved Bob. Uh, One of the best gifts that he told me that I ever got for him was uh, I got him an autographed baseball signed by Bob Gibson. And like he has it at his house, it's on his mantle. He actually was at Bush stadium for Bob Gibson's last game and retirement speech. And famously, that that game, Bob Gibson gave up a grand slam, coming into relief, got out of the uh, got out of the inning, and as he walked to the dugout, he was like, "I'm out, and I'm done." And he walked away um, in early September, before the end of the season, 
before the Cardinals had wrapped up uh, his last season in 1970, whatever. And for me, you know, we talk about superheroes all the time uh, on this show because that's what we do. That's what bandwagon nerds is, you know, it's comic books and it's heroes. And, and we talked about this, uh, I think it was either last week or the week before about how superheroes have taken over in our lexicon as a modern mythology and heroes and, and mythic figures in our life. But there's another group of people that I think take on that role as well. And that is that are athletes. And, you know, f- when I look at how ridiculous Bob Gibson was as a player and as a pitcher, the man was a the man was a member of the Harlem Globetrotters for a year before he joined the Cardinals. He was that good at other sports uh jack buck once said that he could have been a world champion world-class boxer he was such a great athlete and in 1968 he posted what most people argue is the greatest pitching season of all time when he posted a 1.12 era and it's the still the lowest by any pitcher in the live ball era since 1920 and you have to go to 1906 to see somebody when people weren't hitting the ball to see a lower ERA. And that was a 1.04. It was ridiculous. He completed 28 out of 34 games and he was removed for a pinch hitter eight times, meaning he was not replaced on the mound in mid inning by another pitcher all season through 13 shutouts. And he had 56 in his career, which was nearly as many as Craig Maddox and Tom Glavin had combined. That's quoting Tim Kirchin. Those are those are numbers from Tim Kirchin. That he also, season, that season he threw eight out of ten in eight out of ten starts. He had eight shutouts. Yep, he threw forty-seven consecutive scoreless innings, and was so dominant along with him and Sandy Koufax and Juan Marichal and a bunch of other great pitchers that Major League Baseball the next year lowered the height of the mound to give hitters a chance. 10 inches, 10 inches, almost a foot. Like, okay, so like I am a, I'm a, I'm all conference high school pitcher recruited for college pitching and everything else, right? That's legit. To lower a mound 10 inches, to have been up higher 10 inches is ridiculous. The amount of leverage you get, the reason why you don't see these guys when you walk by that used to play in college at the ballparks with the, see how fast you can throw and they're only throwing like 82, 83 is because when you don't have leverage and those guys had too much leverage and they took it away, Patrick, I'm so glad you brought this up. Right. Y'all, y'all always do that though, man. That's what? tiger proof in the courses. That's uh Wilt Chamberlain. So you create the uh, three seconds in the key rule. Uh, that's Kareem in college. So you can't dunk anymore. Y'all always right. do that, man. Well, no, no offense, no offense to no, I, I love you. Well, and he, and he, and he no, wasn't no. alone. Like, like I, you know, I, I see what you're trying to do here. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> pitching was dominant. Pitching was pitching was ridiculously dominant in the '60s until they dropped the mount, until they lowered the mount by by ten inches, as Tony pointed out. And Gibson went on the next year to post a two something ERA, so he was still a dominant pitcher in '69. Two point one eight. Right. He so he was still. Like you couldn't stop him. He was ridiculous. Like he had that delivery. He has one of my all-time favorite quotes ever of a baseball player. Go ahead. What is? It? Go ahead. No. Is it? Is it the the is intentional it? walk? Is it that one? No. 
No, is he that was the one... of the wall? Do you I've know that one? This, I, yeah, but I've shared is this before. Go ahead. He was once he was once talking about Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth's famous called shot, and he oh. said in an interview that if any guy ever pointed where he was going to hit my next pitch, I would drill him right through one ear and out the other. He he was notorious for hating his opponents so much so that he wouldn't talk to his teammates at all-star games and was asked, how am I expected to be nice to these guys for one day when I'm trying to beat them all the other weeks of days of the season? He was just an amazing figure. Um, and you know, I love him because my dad loved him and, you know, and I love my team and the history behind my team. And, uh, you know, I, we're not had 17 strikeouts in the 1968 World Series. He lost so many games because his team couldn't hit behind him. He he lost. I can't remember how many games he went the distance and lost because he only gave up one run. Uh, it was just it was just obscene how great of a pitcher he was and how intimidating he is. And I say all that and talk about heroes and how they take on this mythic proportions for us and you know i think one of the great american mythical figures in all of sports is satchel page by by far like the legend and the stories around satchel page are just amazing all of you i think on some level are sports guys we've been talking about football and joking we've all had heroes who are your heroes dave go first uh i mean for me personally i mean the stuff that resonates with me personally john reagan's is is one of my heroes because i mean he was just i mean (laughs) the stories about him i remember watching that a football life documentary about john riggins and just you know the stuff like that game in 79 where they lost to the cowboys and i mean that's like the one of the first games i remember watching and i actually like cried at the end of that game because it was just soul crushing fuck you roger staubach that's all I got to say. Although Dak Prescott is about to make his own Roger Staubach imita- imitation here today. But, uh, Shut up, Dave. I'm sorry, man, but they are fucking this game <laughs> all up, not, man. That is not an answer to the question, sir. John uh, Riggins was an answer to the question. Yeah, John Riggins was, uh, I mean, just the, the heroic stuff he did with the, uh, with the Super Bowl and that run in 82 that I'll always remember. Um, you know, and Alex Ovechkin, for me, is is obviously somebody real high and, and finally having him break through in 2018 and win the cup and get by Sidney Crosby and all that. Uh, you know, those are the guys that stand out. I, I mean, I, I would also like to say Sean Taylor because his life got cut short so early and, and he just really seemed to be rounding the corner and turning into this really exceptional man. And then, of course, it all ended. But, I mean, that one affected me so much that I got a pl- on a plane from California, flew back to D.C. to be at FedEx for that game against Buffalo that we lost, but it didn't matter. And uh, But, I mean, his death affected me so much, and that's the only time I can really think of a sports personality where, you know, you know me, when I grew up, my family had a lot of ties to the Redskins. My dad's dad, he, he was in the marching band, so I had a lot of ties to Washington, and so I just felt like, as, like it was like almost a family sort of thing. Like our family just got a tremendous tragedy. I need to be there got on a plane and went back to DC for that game. So those are the ones that like stand out to me. Platt, what about you? Well, as a child, I was completely obsessed with two people. Uh, the first one being Malcolm X and the second one being Muhammad Ali. 
I read every piece of literature on him that I could get my hands on. I've seen all the documentaries. I saw all the movies. Most people don't even know he came out with a movie, I think, in 1979 called The Greatest, which was about his life that he actually starred in. And, yeah, I was just completely obsessed with the man. And, I mean, it goes without saying. It's Muhammad Ali. There's a reason why Muhammad Ali is Muhammad Ali. There's a reason why he's considered the greatest. And when we talk about sports heroes, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that stands on that mountain above Muhammad. Very cool. How about you, Tony? It's funny growing up, uh, my two favorite baseball players, and I have both of multiples of, of their different rookie cards, uh, was Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire. And boy, did they make me, you know, second guess <laughs> their careers. Uh, you know, football wise, I was, what is it, 88, 89? I was seven, eight years old when Brett Favre took over and then Aaron Rodgers came along. So for 30 plus years, I've had a Hall of Fame quarterback. So that's not necessarily it either. Uh, Robin Yount and Paul Molitor when I was a kid nice. through Ryan Braun and CC Sabathia into Kristen Yelich and things of that nature. Um, but I'm from Milwaukee and we're only 90 miles north of Chicago. And when I was growing up, Michael Jordan was the motherfucking man. I had everything Bulls, right? I watched, like, Sundays, once February came after the Pro Bowl, it was the Bulls against somebody on Sunday, and John Tesh would hit the fucking keys, and you'd have the NBA. <laughs> right. And there was Michael Jordan. So, you know, the dream team into the championships and everything else. So sporting-wise, the person I enjoyed watching the most growing up and look forward the most to being out there didn't even play for you know my one of my home teams as I acknowledge the others, but uh, Michael Jordan and then Dwayne Wade when he was at Marquette, you know, to a degree. So, but right. Michael Jordan. And if I may, because Platt mentioned Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, big yeah. big oh, influence yeah. on me. There you go. Odell Beckham just took a reverse about seventy yards for a touchdown, Platt. All right. The world is oh, going thanks, back to me. ass clown. I'm watching <laughs> it on the internet. I didn't know that happened. Well, you're going to see it soon, and you can do your little arm raise. Um, <laughs> so I'll uh, I'll echo Tony uh, for basketball because I was, you know, I was ten in '88, and Michael Jordan was it. Like Michael Jordan was, it. and you know, I think every one of us probably watched The Last Dance. That like that end of episode three of The Last Dance. Tears. You can go to thechairshot.com and check out full coverage of all 10 episodes of The Last Dance. Right. I'm watching it now, Tony. But it's but still chills. a thing of beauty. 50 yard <laughs> reverse. But uh, as, a, as a kid, it's it was always interesting. I, I loved baseball players that I never actually saw play. Uh, and, you know, I, I have a real fondness for the 60s um, in baseball. And in my opinion, it's the best era of baseball that ever was. And uh, Roberto Clemente as a guy who played outfield uh, in high school and loved being in center field and the feeling of throwing somebody out at any base from the outfield to watch Clemente throw a baseball is it's poetry and was just the best arm ever in my opinion. 
would throw it on a line and you just, you didn't run on Roberto and his humanitarian efforts for, for Puerto Rico and what he tried to do tragically costing him his life was like, he was fiery. He was passionate and he was just a ridiculously amazing outfielder and a ridiculously amazing player and a ridiculously amazing person. Um, and as in terms of players that actually played when I was a kid, Ozzie Smith was the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I remember I loved trying to run the bases the way I like I would round first and second base the way Ozzie Smith would round it when he was on the base pass, taking these big turns, trying to get to the base the way Ozzie did. And Don Mattingly uh, for the New York Yankees. Uh, only the, and it was weird because he was just such a consistent hitter and player and he was a stalwart and he led the league in doubles three years in a row. And I just, I will always remember that stat, like led the league in doubles. Like you knew he was going to hit for you and do it all the time. Football, my favorite player of all time for the bears is Walter Payton. Of course, um, growing up and watching football though, there was nothing like watching Barry Sanders carry a football and run it. Uh, and you wonder what Barry Sanders would have been had he been playing for the Dallas Cowboys behind that line. Cause there'd be no record. To touch. Oh, put, him, put him on the Redskins in 82 and with I'm the hogs saying, in front of him. I'm not even mm-hmm. saying that Emmitt Smith was a poor running back. I'm not saying that at all. I watched him play for years and I know you did too, uh, as a Packer fan, Tony, I it just, it would blow my mind. he, I remember the Packers one time in the midst of the peak of his career, they held him to negative three yards in the first half of a game. And we were just, that was when, you know, you had Gilbert Brown and Reggie White and Sean Jones and Santana Dotson. Okay. So think about that up front four, right? That's what it took for a half. And then I think he ran for like 123 in the second half or something. Sick. I, I can go on YouTube and just watch him run the football. Like just watch mm-hmm. clips of him and watch him look I, like he's dead to rights so many times. To me, respect all respect to the recently passed as well, Gail Sayers. We yeah. were talking about people that have yeah. that have recently transitioned, but um but I, heard that. I, I never I haven't I haven't seen a lot of film on Jim Brown. I don't know I, I know Jim Brown would have been successful in this day and age, but I don't know how successful considering the advancement in speed and strength. I'm still going to say he's one of the top five running backs of all time. But for me, I haven't seen a lot of him. I haven't seen a lot of Gale Sears from what I've seen. Yes. But even everybody I've seen up to today, including LaDainian Tomlinson and, and, you know, some of the playmakers for right now, like Alvin Kamara, Barry Sanders is head and shoulders far and above. I, like it's to me, it's people I've seen live. It's Allen Iverson, Barry Sanders, Michael Jordan, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers like those are five guys that to me I've all seen live and you go wow I didn't realize a human being had those kind of capabilities and and just for the record Jim Brown would translate to any era of football he was that damn good I mean the the two he was right and I'm not disagreeing I'm just saying you know his was more of a power game and things of that nature I know he was a really smart football player I'm just saying I haven't seen so much of that that's fair that's fair but Jerry Brown or Jerry Brown Jesus Christ Jerry Jerry Brown Brown, Jerry Brown and Jim Rice are the two greatest football players ever (laughs) now you could put one above the other I wouldn't argue with you but those are the two you mean Jim Rice (laughs) from the Red Sox that's who you mean (laughs) hard-hitting Jim Rice 
All right, thank you guys for sharing that. Go ahead, Dave. No, I was just going to say, like, like, like Barry Sanders, I mean, I, I remember distinctly the 91 NFC Championship game where the Redskins and Lions, the only person that caused any of us fans any concern was Barry Sanders. We like he Eric Eric Hipple's not going to fucking Eric. Yeah, there's a route, but Eric Hipple's not going to beat us. So Barry's the only one we had to worry about shutting down. And they did, you know, when you've that, got no other threat. Was that Rodney Pete's uh, Lions? Was that no, that Eric Hipple was a quarterback for oh. that well, game. He fumbled on the first way, play. Barry, Barry Sanders was the last, uh, basically the last person to beat the Cowboys before they went on their run in the playoffs right, as well. Yeah, they, they, they just, beat him in 91. Something. He was just something else, and, and yeah, and you just you couldn't help but have mad respect for the dude, even when you were playing against him. So, all right, thank you guys for sharing your your heroes. I think that you know when I think about where where our mythology comes from, athletes and and, and superheroes. Those are those are two of the big ones that we see, and they they transcend, and th- those legacies will go on well after we're warm food. So. That's going to put a bow on this week's God edition. Damn, of that's Wagon uplifting, Nerds. isn't it? You're all going to die. Worms are going to eat you now to the end of the show. Everyone, Everyone's timeline eventually runs out. We know this. You will transcend, if you will, that just to steal from, from another podcast that tends to air on, say, Mondays. Anyway, sometimes Tuesdays when it happens, you know, things like that. Anyway, basically when it happens. Right. So that's going to put a ball on this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Let's do a quick once around. Tell everybody where they could find you. Mr. Tunney, why don't you kick us off? You can find me at PC Tunney. All right, Mr. Platt. Again, gentlemen, thank you for having me on. I have a great time every time I come on this show. And oh, I, yeah. Thanks I for having pleased. me on, too. Yeah. Shut up, Tunny. Nobody's yeah, talking to you, Tunny. Hold on. Quiet. I'm almost done. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. You guys were great. This was awesome. Um, sorry, Platt. Go ahead. Eminem from 8 Mile. If you don't shut the fuck up, okay? Go vomit your mom's spaghetti and leave the grown folks to talk. How do you spell fluck? With Which an L. a K or a yeah, CK? With an L. With an L. Oh, okay. All right, the Bears right, start in 15 minutes, y'all. I got to watch this. Movie. All right, man. You guys can find me on Twitter at the Real C Platt, but more importantly, go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. Again, if you appreciate the content we provide day in and day out here at the chair shot, the best way to make sure we keep providing that content you love so much is by supporting the calls by going to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. The chair shot.com. We're not just a website, we're a movement. Go Colts. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude AGG and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Damn it, Platt, the uh, Browns might have scored too soon because the Cowboys are already at midfield. God damn it. 11. It's I fine. Ahead of me. And you're but still up 11. But there's it's two over. minutes. Two you're minutes good. and 30 seconds left. And Not remember, even the Browns can blow this. Not even the Browns can she is. You're not the Falcons. You're not no. the Falcons. Don't worry. You're not the Falcons. You're okay. Note, note to Are self: move time of recording to Sunday mornings prior to start of football games. Damn it! Got us. Oh, shut up! You really didn't have press to watch bitch Trubisky. Get out of here! Uh, Nick, 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 Nick Foles. Foles, the savior is starting. The savior. That's right. He is the savior. Oh <laughs> Dave, did you, did you get your? Did, did you get your pitch in, Dave? 
Did you, did you get I did. Picture? I got my picture. All right. I'm well, done. you can follow me at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can catch me here on Bandwagon Nerds. Drops every Monday. You can also catch me on Wednesdays on the Greg DeMarco Show with Craig DeMarco and Miranda Morales where we talk some sports. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Bandwagon Nerds. Now get yourself out of the basement, get some sun, but make sure you come back next week when we have an all-inclusive big-time panel covering the Boys Season 2, Episode 8, the finale. You have been listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Network, part of ChairShot.com. the eve of the longest day. Very well. Release the Kraken. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.